Hello, I'm Ian. And I'm Darren, and welcome to Average Bikers in a Cave. A show where a group of average bikers chat and share opinions about all things motorbike. From news, reviews, interviews, and the big questions. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review. On today's show, episode 34, you'll get our usual ramblings. We'll update you on a handful of news stories from over the last few weeks. And no big question this week. Instead, we have a big interview with a special guest and a special doll. This week's episode is sponsored by Afterground, an exceptional drone, wedding, portraiture and events photography and videography company that specialises in capturing video and images on the ground and in the air, in a style that is modern yet timeless, interesting and vibrant, with a focus on exhilarating moments and pure fun. Using their experience, skills and knowledge, they will work with you to ensure your videos and photos are exactly the way you want them. For more information or to chat to the team, head over to www.afterground.com or check out their Facebook page. And we're in. We're in. Check in time. Check in time. Oh no, that's chicken time. <laughs> that was a foul joke. Anyway. Oh. It is. Thank you. I was Thank like, you. Ah, it's fucking hard on buttons to mm-hmm. find it. Anyway. anyway. Uh, crack on then. Who wants to check in first? On you go then, because I, I do believe you've been quite busy. Since I've been relatively spoke. busy on a, on the two-wheeled wanderings, the wanderings of the wheelie persons. So um, I went to Ireland with JB. Oh, that's where I, that's where I need a, that's where I need a button that goes. I'm trying to learn that on my saxophone. Are you? The Irish washerwoman. Yeah. Is so, that what it, is that what is that what it's called? That's what the version I've got is called. I'm not. You know, it's probably got some sort of you know weird kind of Irishy, you know, the feels of Glenn Schmackle, Glenn you know, and in, in, in B flat, Schmackle. you know, something like that. But it's uh, um, apologies, um, I've just probably offended just about any Irish listener out there. So just please take it. Yes, as, our, as apolog- our apologies. Yes, uh, you know. <laughs> so uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, so we so we arranged um, John passed his test. As we know, we talked about that in the last yes, podcast. We did. It was brilliant. Well done, me man. Amaze balls. And we decided to go over to Ireland to visit my brother over in Derry. Derry. Right, over in Derry. Derry. In London Derry. London Derry. And uh, we weren't going to take the Kiars, so uh, we took the Beikes instead. Oh, the Beikes. The Beikes. The Beikes. And the me order Beikes. I don't. I think I'm really We're ripping really the picture now. I was really, really offensive. I do apologise. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I do like the way um, that my niece and nephew say Kiars. It's okay, funny, you know. So anyway, um, is that that pop group with the two sisters and the brother? I, that's it. That's it. That's it. Then I'd leaving you breathless. Kiars, Kiars. Hi, you always. Everybody, uh, the the two girls were really hot, and then the drummer. Everybody fancy drummer because then um, to some people she wasn't quite as hot. So you might have got a chance if you met them in the pub. You know, <laughs> that whole theory. Aye. Never, never, the never, never. One. Never fancy the, the the really attractive one in the band. Always fancy the second most attractive because if you meet them in the pub, you might just have a chance. You know. True. The trouble was that all three of them were stunning, so it didn't it didn't really matter. Aye, you know? aye, let's be honest. There was your weight, and you and you was no way you were punching that high ever. So, <clears throat> no. you know. So I just listened to their music. That will do. 
Anyway, I don't actually listen to them for quite a while. Anyway, talking about going to Ireland, right? So, um, so John's just passed his test. He's got his twelve hundred bobber, which is a nice, powerful wee beast, you know. Very, very and nice we decide, beast. and and fate, and the world, and God, and Alan, whoever was looking down in his Buddha was sitting there pushing himself, laughing while he was eating these mini magnums, right? Literally was, pushing himself. Yeah, literally pushing himself, right? Um, because they, the drive down, right? We decided to get down <coughs> from Glasgow down to Ayr, and they popped down to Susan's mum's, and then down from, from Ayr down to Cairn Ryan. Well, great run. Brilliant. Blue skies. We windy, but nothing to worry about. You know, absolutely brilliant. Blue, lovely, sunny. Sun at times. John and I get to the, the ferry terminal, checked in and all that. Not a problem. Uh, no issues at all, apart from one quick check in one of the panniers. So, so is that what happens when you've got luggage in your bike? That gives you an excuse to get you off the bike to have a look. Anyway, you know, but that's fine. That's all good. Park up, get on the ferry, um, all good. And then we're sitting in the ferry and I'm checking out the weather in Belfast. And it turns out that there's a storm over Northern Ireland. <laughs> now, it's not just a wee storm. It's not just... It's not just a few wee droppers of water or, a, or somebody with slightly or a slight wind problem, you know. It's not it's no just a wee fart in the air. It is a named storm, Storm Noah, right? Storm Noah was whirling over Ireland and it was and where it was was it, it was coming towards Belfast from the west as we were heading towards Belfast in the boat, for east travelling from the east. So by the time we get into Belfast, waterproof's on. John's got all his Dionysi Gore-Tex stuff on. He's laughing, right? But he's also only passed his test three weeks, right? So, off the boat at Belfast, it's raining. And I go, well, if it's just raining, then I'm just going to be wet. No. Literally about a mile after the ferry terminal, we just hit we hit Storm Noah. It was it's some of the worst weather I've ever ridden a motorcycle in. And poor John is behind me, following me. Literally, <laughs> I mean, what that boy learned in that in that hour of riding that bike was just you know. At one point, we must have actually gone through the eye of the storm because it kind of went deadly calm for a few seconds. Do you know what I mean, did you know? Did you know? Tell him though, it's a bell tradition to pick up well, a new bike yes. and go fucking riding through the pitch. Yeah, and rain. thankfully for John, unlike me. When we got to our destination, he didn't drop the bike. So, hey, good lad. <laughs> which is good. Good, good lad, right? So, <laughs> but the, the funniest thing was, we get off, or halfway there, there's a wee, there's a, just before Glen Shane, um, there's a, there's a garage, and it's literally, I think, my, mile for mile, almost halfway between Belfast and my brother's house, right? And, uh, I got off the bike, I'm soaked through, yeah? The, the waterproof, waterproof, I've got on were no waterproof well they might have been waterproof if in maybe in case if maybe you'd coughed in case, and a bit of saliva got on them and just for everybody listening to the show and not watching the show right that pause waterproof pause was, was, was the actual air quotes in case you didn't hear them quotes, going yep yeah, sorry air quotes waterproof right the, the, the top part the top jacket the textile jacket on the top is fine right yeah. that was good but underneath alright oh, so I was soaked through I knew when I got to my brothers I was changing everything and I mean everything I was probably technically going to have to change the top layer of my skins, my legs, you know what I mean? That was how wet like I a felt. six-month-old wean. Uh, exactly. So, um, and I, I got off the bike to put fuel in the bikes, and John just stood there, took his helmet off, and he just went, what the fuck was that, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> and there's next, there's a wee restaurant next to the garage, and I'm like, can we, can we just go in there and sit? 
for a coffee, please. Because <laughs> like he's just, it's just hit some of the worst riding conditions I think anyone could go through. Short ice and snow, right? And um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you if, absolutely man, if you want, you know, take five minutes, put the bikes to the side, we'll pack them up, see how you feel. I've got five minutes, he's composed himself and went, and actually went, you know, see now I'm through it. That was brilliant. <laughs> He just left the buzz once it was over. Sense you know? of achievement. Yeah. You know I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the equivalent of Bill Paxman. Was it Bill Paxman? Or Bill Aye. Pullman? And Bill was, Paxman. You know, when he was Helen. a wee boy, when he was a wee boy, it was one of his films, fake films, Twister. Ah, well, there you Loved go. It, right? There you mm. go. And you you can be Helen Hunt. Mm. Was it Helen Hunt or Lorne Dern that was in that? I always get the two uh, mixed up. Uh, it was Helen Hunt. It was Helen Hunt. There you go. Yeah. I'd be Carrie Ellis. I'd be the bad guy. Pretty, pretty, um, pretty, what, steal the machine? Steal the machine? So I'm, I mean, obviously I'm just powering through the rain. But jo, uh, when we, we get through, John's like to me, "Any chance you could maybe just slow down a bit for the next leg of the trip, please?" And I'm like, "I no problem." So he wanted, to, he wanted to, um, a, a, you know, stop on, you know, halfway between there and Davis again. But actually, and it's a big shout out to Northern Ireland Road System. They've opened a new road between Glen Shane and uh, Derry that cuts out all the wee towns, cuts out Dungiven and all that. We were there in rapid time and the weather was a lot better. Seemed like nice. Glenshane weather was a lot. Very windy going over the Glenshane. If you're ever going over Glenshane Pass, it's very windy. You've just got to be have your wits about you with the wind. Crosswind just blow around everywhere. It's you know, so it's pretty scary if you're not prepared for it. But it was nothing in comparison to what we were just ridden through between Belfast and Glenshane. So <laughs> to that to John by that point, John's like what? Windy? That's a so we, and then we get to my brother's. I got off the bike. He goes off his bike. Get in there. John whips off his Dionysia Gore-Tex, dry as an effing bone underneath. Aye. Not even, not even a sliver, a sliver of moisture, other than well, quite a lot of sweat that he clearly did when he was strapping. When he was gripping the bike for dear life. Whereas I'm like, you know, I mean, I actually had to. I bought two pairs of gloves. I changed my gloves halfway over the halfway through the journey because they'd soaked through, right? Uh-uh. Anyway, so but however, great trip, and then the way back was a different kettle of fish completely. Beautiful day, took the coast route, actually crossed over what is the start line of the Northwest Two Hundred. Oh, right, had it all okay. marked out and everything. They had the stands up and everything. They've also got the open at Port Rush, so there was loads of activity, loads of stuff happening. Um, and when we crossed the line, I'd said to John, I said, just to let you know, we man, that's the start of a, a pretty damn famous bike race. He was like, felt all. But all chuffed he'd seen it because it had all the wee marks of where the bike's sitting in pole position and all that and, you know in the starting grid and everything it was really cool so we did some of that got to Bali Castle and then we went down through Ballymena or past Ballymena down back into Belfast to get the boat home nice. which was brilliant absolutely brilliant and the run home was absolutely great and it's just John was just grinning from ear to ear so, and it was just such a wonderful thing to be able to do that father-son thing you know um, and that just to have that kind of moment or that kind of couple of days together, you know, on the bikes, you know, the Triumph Twins. The Triumph, the Triumph Twins. Twins strike again! <laughs> aye, aye. You know? We can still hang on to this button for another week. Yeah. And I'll get my finger yep. out for episode 35. Although aye. I'm dreading, um, I'm dreading, I'm dreading uh, episode 35, but... And then, because I've been, uh, because I've been on, the, on, on the Outlook for, for a wee while... Uh, that's at Jewett's uh, 600 mile service, and that's getting done this week. So, um, that'll be all let, let it rip. re-liquefied. Everything all filled up, and then I can then I can really see what it does. Screen's on it. Screen was brilliant, I have to say. 
what takes takes us so much off your chest when you're riding along at 80 minutes uh, I, I think we, we never covered that because that was in between the last episode and this episode yeah, the fact that you yeah. bought a whole load of bits for the, yep. for the the um the bike and yep. we were just going to fit them ourselves and actually you I mean the the screen was much more complex than it actually had to be yeah they I mean? wanted you to take the yoke off take off all the, the handlebars and everything <laughs> to, to drop the, the to drop the mounts in for the screen because yeah. we thought it would be a bit like a, 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 the quick release ones from Harley but it, but it, you can wrap them round no. the, the forks but no, no no and actually when I took it to so I, I went I took it to Triumph and they did it and God bless Triumph right brilliant did a great job but they decided to do it the other way they took they the wheel off and dropped the fork. Wheel off and dropped the fork. Aye. Aye. So um, the problem with you had there is you still had to undid the fork screws, Aye. which were the uh-huh. were the one. Well, we tried one of those. It was like it. So, so, um, so we tried to. So, um, and but we did fit the luggage rack and the backrest. Yes, we did. Which I so sets and the, the back off. So, aye, so. Aye. you'll see it if obviously you're looking. If you've been checking out the socials, and you'll see Ian and John's pictures for. The trip, yeah. you see that Ian's bike looks a bit longer now because it's got obviously the what you got on it. Did you the put luggage? luggage did you get luggage on the back here, or did you get everything in your little panels? So I got everything in my panels in the way there. Yeah, cool. but I picked up a couple of things in the way back. So I ordered a, a hoodie from um, Guinness, but it was it was really expensive to get it. I bought it from the Guinness store in Dublin. So it's black hoodie. And it's got a tiny wee embroidered paint of Guinness just on the chest. It's nice. cracking, cracking me hoodie, and it just says on the back. Uh, uh, time for a Guinness, right? So, uh, great thing you get in the cup uh, in the, the store in Dublin, Guinness store in Dublin, and it was going to cost an absolute fortune to get it shipped home, but it was pennies. I think it was free shipping if I got it sent to Northern Ireland, so I just sent it to my brother and then picked it up in Aurora. <laughs> so, there we go. So, a couple of extra wee bits and bobs that I picked up on the way back. So, the the one of the bags that was in the panniers, I then put on the, lug, the luggage rack. Uh, a wee yellow waterproof rhino, with a wee rhino bag thing. Oh, wee, aye, the aye. Rhino so walk. that was fine. Yeah, yeah. Rhino walk. I walk, I rise. Exactly. Rhino walk. So, yeah, so that was it. That was it, yeah. Um, the bike was out, as I say, for a wee bit of a run, um, just uh, on a... Blah, 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 when was that? Uh, can't mean now when it was. Two weeks ago. Uh, but I, so two weeks ago for the weekend, for the, for the, for the island trip. And then no, I had the bike out again... Um, on Saturday or Sunday, <coughs> for you on, so take it um, and that stuff. And that was my plan: was to try and get out on Sunday and then mm-hmm. end up doing with the pubonic plague. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that kind of snuck up that. Yeah, um, but you know, that's me had that bike now about a month or so, isn't it? Just over a month. I just and, and I still have a big grin in my face. Good when I when I know I'm going to take out to ride it. You know, Happy and days. even though the weather's looking rubbish tomorrow morning. You know, um, I'll still I'll still enjoy taking it and taking it a try and dropping it off to get it all serviced. 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 So, and of course, it's what Triumph do. I, mean, I don't know what other manufacturers do. I know some manufacturers that, you know, it's included, but your your labour's included. They don't pay for your labour for your first service. You just pay for the... The actual bits. The, the actual bits. That's you know, good. Parts, That'll so keep the price So it keeps But unfortunately for John, his is due as well. It's only if you take it back to the to the the, the place you bought it from, yeah. Uh, so, and he bought his in London. He did. He phoned up the guys in London to say, "Is there anything you can do about it?" And the guy was just quite, quite just basically, "No, like, no, it's not happening." Sorry, mate. Nah, sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. 
Fuck off, mate. We're really, you know I mean? ha- we're really nailing the accents, I think, aren't we? I know, we're superb, aren't we? Because you know? that, that guy was from Wales, you know. So, so, um, uh, so John's going to unfortunately have to, he's taking any time, West Coast time, but he's going to have to fork up for the Labour. Well, so, you know, there we go. Lesson learned. The way that's what happens when you move from London, buy a bike in London and ship it to Glasgow. So that there's a be there's a wee hints and tips for you, you know. Check out cool. what if there's anything you need to do back with your dealership to save you money. So anyway, so that's my check in. I think I think that's quite a good check in. That, that is quite a good check in. Normally yeah, you don't yeah, have much, but that is quite a good check in. Yep. Um, what have I been up to? <laughs> Bike went in for his hundred and twenty point check, which was a free thing that that West Coast were doing for chapter members, and I thought I'm going to utilise that closer to the time yep. for actually going to be. So. Did that, bike went through fine, um, took it away, and everything was hunky-dory. Um, cool, nice and good, good. Other good than the fact that I was driving along and the screen cut out, which was a bit concerning. So I took it back into Harley's, Harley put it up on a, one of these big, long, kind of diagnostic things that lasted like a couple oh, of hours. Yeah. Um, couldn't find a fault, so they reloaded all the firmware and stuff onto the bike. And it's been fine so far, touch wood, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but they have raised an incident to Harley-Davidson Direct just to try and suss out what the problem is. But again, right. so far so good, it's all hunky-dory. So <clears> the bike's <throat> all prepped and ready to go. Um, I need to get it out and get a good wee run though, um, which again was supposed to be the plan last weekend, but then ended up ill um, with man flu, um, which has kind of cost me. Um, it's actually cost me a week, almost, um, which is pretty bad. Mm. <coughs> as he coughs, there as he coughs there's, your proof, there's your proof um, But I'm rather got it now As opposed to getting it like in two weeks time When you mean I'm supposed to be going to be So at least now I've got it And I've got a little bit of immunity in case someone else Is carrying about the lurgy with them um, At least then I should be A bit in the clear So bike's done Our whole tour pack And stuff came through for the Thank trip you. Which um, sets off In a couple of weeks time and all the GPX files are done, all uploaded to the phone, all uploaded to the bike, <coughs> which will be good. Means I can have it on the on the actual dash for the bike, um, and have my phone up above for all, nice, other bits nice. and bobs, which is pretty cool. But the biggest thing ha- has been um, since the last podcast was I had bought a brand new Scorpion EDX two helmet. I was going to say, get your helmet, let the viewers know all about your helmet. Which. <laughs> When I read all the reviews and watched the blogs and other people's YouTube videos and stuff on it, everybody was like, oh my god, it's such a good helmet, It's the ADX1 was amazing, this is even better, blah blah blah. So I bought a helmet, fitted all the comms, made little incisions for the cable so it was all neat and tidy, a bit OCD that way. Had it out, been riding a wee while, and then was going along the road one day and the visor was really wobbling. Now I know the visor, the, the peak was really <coughs> yeah. wobbling. I thought, it's a bit random. So, stopped in at a cafe for a coffee. Took the helmet off, obviously, before I ran the cafe. Because that would be weird. You know what I mean? And um, noticed the screw... Are Hi. Hi, this is the wee. Um, noticed the screw... The screw... The screw that holds the, the peak and the visor on, it came loose. 
I'm like, that's really weird. So I, I tightened it up, and you can tighten it up li- literally with a 50 pence piece and just tighten it up. Mm-hmm. So I tightened it up <coughs> and gave it a good little nudge, which obviously makes the visor quite stiff. But mm-hmm. I thought that will get me to get up the road. So I got up the road, checked it again, it was fine. Went out the following day, did a bit of motorway speed on it to really put it to its test. Did maybe like a half hour or something in the motorway, go back to the house, and it came loose again. I thought, this is not right. So, just by a coincidence, I follow, I follow uh, Really Good TV, and Dave had put up, he bought the helmet, and he he's loving the helmet, and he had the same incident, but the right. actual peak came off on one side as he was going down the motorway, and nearly Oofed. nearly blew him off the bike. Remember, this is a this is a 2206 tested helmet, right? And if you lose one of those screws... That holds the visor in as well. So I was like, oh, I'm really not liking this. So I got back and co- I contacted Scorpion, heard nothing back for days. Went back to the sports bike shop where I bought it. And credit to the guys at the sports bike shop, they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <coughs> They'd said, oh, that's a bit weird. You can either send it back to us and we'll send it to Scorpion. I'm going to take a drink here. Sicky, sicky. I was just reading the sound effects of the ring, yeah. I know. Or you can um, send it back and we'll send you a replacement just as a goodwill gesture. And I thought, do you know what? I, I don't really want a goodwill gesture because I think this will happen again. So I said to the guys, listen, what about putting a bit of Loctite on it? A little bit of thread locker on it? Mm-hmm. And they went, you could try it and see. And if it fails, just come back to us. <coughs> so I did that. And that seemed to be holding it. But... You know that way you've always got in the back of the mind? I'm going to be doing 1,700 miles on this trip. The last thing I want is that thing to come off and you don't have spare bolts or whatever to hold it in. Yeah, totally, totally. Then you're left without a visor and if the rain comes on, it's like... So I decided, no, I'm going to send it back. (coughs) And I did say to them when I I said, listen, see if I'm sending this back to you rather than getting a placement because I don't think that'll work. Can I just get something else and put the extra to it? They went, that's fine, let us know. Cool, that was good So, I ordered another helmet I opted for the Shoebuff E2 Well, that sounds a bit funny It did cost me an extra couple of hundred quid On top of what I'd paid for it However, it's fast That's just like, you know, doing that is like using Klarna Isn't it? You buy a helmet, you break <coughs> it You send it back, you pay the extra It's just like Klarna, you know mm. what I mean? Just totally. get helmet in monthly instalments um, But this is far better because it's a, it's a C5 helmet, which we know is what the police and stuff use. It's just got a peak on it. Um, yep. And albeit it's a little bit heavier, but mm-hmm. it's not overly heavy. Um, I haven't had a chance to get it out yet because by the time I I'd wore it about the house, <laughs> I wore it about the house for about five days just to make sure that it was all right. And I'm like, right, that's fine. I'm going to get it this weekend on a bike because the weather's nice and then get hit by the cold. So, oh, sorry, the flu. <coughs> so that's just scuppered it right up. So I need to get out and get it, get a wee run on it, just to get cool. that final check. But it is nice, it's such nice. a nice helmet. So <clears> yeah, so that's been my big thing. But however, <coughs> everything else is ready. Um, <coughs> the only thing I've left to do is decide whether I'm taking my X3, which is an obvious given. Or am I, ta- am I taking my GoPro as well? Because my concern is, is it means then I've got 
two loads of files to upload onto a backup drive. And then it's two loads of files you've got to edit when I get back and all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm swithering between them. I've got enough brackets and stuff to mount both if I decide. <clears throat> I just haven't decided yet. You could just um you could just get a couple of extra wee I can give you a couple of extra wee um memory cards if you want, see if you want to back up. It's up to you. I don't know. I'm yet to decide. What if you've got any thoughts on that, listeners, that you think what's it what's it better? Keep your files on separate Memory cards or sticking with a backup drive. What have you done when you've been out? I'm quite quite like to know what actually what you think's good practice, good practice. When, uh, when 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 creating audiovisual content that may take a few days before you actually get to pop it onto the computerization system. I think the the dream would be to get it all on a just have loads of, have an SD card for every day. Yeah. For every camera for every day, so that you know load of SD cards. Because then if you get one corrupt, you're fine. Do you know what I mean? I you can always use another one. Rather than backing it all up onto a hard disk, and then if the hard disk corrupts, you've lost all that footage. Yep. Which is the downside. <clears throat> now, I'm going to look at other options as well. Maybe look at the cloud option, so that I can back them up onto that, but obviously upload them to the cloud somewhere. But the problem being is, is if you take the GoPro and the X3, chances are you're probably going to fill, fill. I'm not going to film the whole thing all the time. It's going to be putting no, no. cameras on for the good bits. But even if you fill two, five, six. In each card, <coughs> that's that's like five five hundred twelve gig a day, and you're away for seven days. That's a lot of data. It certainly is, and it's the kind of data that's it, it's um that will take a while to process because I'm, you know, I'm presuming you'll be filming it in four K, wouldn't you? So I film it in four K <clears throat> at twenty four frames a second. No. Um, so, do remember though, if you want really smooth slow mo, um, for certain things, film at a higher frame rate, and then you can you can convert right, that in Premiere Pro to twenty four frames per second, and you get a really smooth <coughs> slow mo. Well, that's the the good thing about the um <clears throat> that new X D is so easy just to flick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like yeah. bang, ba 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 ba, and you can flick it, into, and if you only want to capture kind of what's out in front, you can switch it just to single front yeah. view or whatever. I'll try and position it so that the stitch line is either on the ground, on the ground and in the sky, so that you mm-hmm. I mean you're literally getting everything. Um, yeah, I, I I did it. Um, <coughs> I took the 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 bike out the other day and, and did. In fact, I did the was it the bobber? I had it. Anyway, <coughs> I was it, anyway, I had the bike out and um, I, I I just gave it a slight angle, a slight angle, just so that it didn't corrupt right in the kind of middle of the head. Yes. as well. And that was for John, been out in his bobber. So we did that, which is quite cool. So. I think it's one of those ones, if you're sat in a bike facing out the way, <clears> then throat> obviously throat> take the camera and don't have it f- say it's fit- sitting right up. Actually Aye. take it back so that it's pointing up a bit and then just turn it so that it's almost yep. pointing at... That's probably your optimal four thing. O'clock, then. Four o'clock and ten o'clock, maybe. Aye, that's, were, that's about roughly what I had, yeah. You know I mean, so have it at <clears> like <throat> ten to four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's weird fucking. Good but yes, so that's it. It's a case I know just I'll need to do a dry run and packing and all that kind of good stuff, which I'll get to at some point hmm. this weekend. At least you get plenty of luggage. At least you get plenty of luggage. Yeah. Ah, I've got plenty of luggage. Again, my SW Motec dry bag arrived, the 35 litre one. Oh, it's, cool. ab- it's absolutely huge. I mean, mm. it's not overly big, but it's absolutely, you know, I mean, it's more than enough to go away for, for a week. Well enough, do you know what I mean? So, 
Nice, nice. But there Hopefully. you go. So that. Check-in. I think that's my check-in. I don't think nice. I've got anything else to check in about. Um, no. other Only the... one thing I would like to check in and add in. Go for I it. have signed up for the Distinguished <coughs> Gentleman's Ride this year. Ooh, nice. So I'll share some of the stuff in the socials if anybody's <coughs> popping a couple of cut towards the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride for prostate cancer. Then it'll be on the socials. Please do um, feel free to give generous Lily Lily. Every penny and pound helps. So, it is a um, good cause. It's a good cause. So we'll pop, we'll pop the stuff up in the socials for that. And interestingly, for yep. those that are following the Distinguished Gentleman's Rides, they're all on the 21st of May. Apart from Glasgow, they've moved theirs to the 28th of May. So the Glasgow one uh, is on the 28th of May. All right. So um, if anyone's about and wants to follow it in the bikes, I'll just see lots of people in tweed with funny big boots. In tweed. Um, and with um, but I will have the Outlook. I'll be on the Outlook, obviously. The shiny. Yes. So... <clears throat> um, so that, that, good. That, the overlook, that, sorry, the that, overlook, no, the, the outlook, overlook, overlook. The outlook. I've been, I've been sending too many emails today. I so. know that we, that almost should be a button. By the way, we need to get a button to everything you say. Yes, Johnny. I dun dun dun. Um, yep. And then the other only thing was was um, we've had a few emails the last few weeks from mm-hmm. obviously listeners of the show. <clears> so yep. if you sent an email through and we've been chatting on email or in messenger or whatever big hello from us um but one of those ones was actually the the guys at um at the uh, newly opened not newly opened it was a yamaha dealer but more in the kind of power boat side of stuff and now they're taking on bikes and they've asked us to come down and have a chat and kind of see if we can do stuff with those guys so we'll do that at some point over the next few weeks we'll make a point on it and don't see those guys because it literally is like kind of 10 minutes each way for us so that'll be quite interesting. So expect a bit of Yamaha content coming. Um, I could use so. my new gimbal. Ooh. <clears throat> yes. You bought a gimbal, did you? I've got a wee... A wee um, so I've got a couple of DJI gimbals and Insta360. I've brought out a gimbal. So, you know, just for your mobile mobile phone gimbal, yeah. Hmm. So I picked one of them up to see if it's any good. So flow. Um, we'll maybe use that and around about. But it's dead, it falls down quite small and can stick the panniers. Oh, nice. Right really well, so it's dead easy to... Just shift around with you, so we'll, see that <coughs> we'll do a wee test on that as well. Happy cool. days. Good, good times, good times. Good times, yeah. actually, yep. All right, will we crack on then? Let's crack on. Let's crack on. <clears throat> Hello, it's now time for the news. time. News time. Well, am, I, am I first? Am I first? You are first. No, I am good, first. sir. Lead the uh, way. And- Lead, leading, we're leading today with um, <coughs> Norton, Norton, the classic bike, um, British manufacturer Norton, who obviously have had their troubles over the last few years, but we've got some new um, news from Norton. It's been a quick three years since Norton came under new management, yep, by TVS, for a bargain of £16 million. Pounds. Or squid, squidinies, squid, squidlinies, squidlinies. No, I don't think about it. Bondulies, 16 million spondulies. We're not independent yet. We're not independent yet, right? So it's been a quick three years since, obviously, there was all the trouble with the, the knot and, the, and everything, right? So they're now in partnership. They are now in partnership with the Bike Shed in London. Uh, the Bike Shed in London, the Bike Shed Motor Company, um, who the big partnership with Triumph, I think they're still in partnership with Triumph as well, but they're in partnership with the Bike Shed in London. Uh, and not have their first flagship dealership with a further five to come. 
right? So an actual go in there and see the bikes kind of stuff, right? Chief Commercial Officer Christian Gladwell said, more dealers means more riders enjoying the results of the hard work and dedication that the entire team at Norton um, have given. Yes, so the new Norton showroom will give you the option for customers to purchase the Commando 961 SP and CRs as well as the V4 SP Superbike. Now, the showroom design is a mix of bespoke and vintage, which obviously <laughs> cap capture, cap captures, captures Norton's past and present and future. It's a very slick and, well, it's Norton, and an expensive-looking boutique. So, um, and to give you a taste of the effort and brand that Norton is trying to aspire to, they really are super, going for the kind of luxury lifestyle stuff. Looks you like know. Hugo Boss showroom. Looks like Hugo Bosch, there you go. Norton will reintroduce test rides of the Commando at locations around the UK later this year. As well yeah, as the new dealerships, Crawley, via Moto Sheffield, Thor Motorcycles in Bodmin, and Oakmere Motor Group in Cheshire. So that's where they're, so they're all um, down, down south, down south, uh, at the minute, yep. Um, but yeah, the, the dealership does look like it's going to uh, a Hugo Boss slash Bellstaff shop. Do you know what I mean? Aye. <clears throat> High end boutique. Shop, it's, it isn't like an a bike dealership, it is like an a fashion store. You know, we've got I'm looking at one of the wee pictures that they've got there. You know, it's got stuff in glass cases, and you know, you can get your black marble floors exactly shiny, shiny, you know, nice, shiny, 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 bikey, shiny. That should be the, the logo, shouldn't it? Not in shiny, 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 bikey, shiny. Yeah, uh, but it does look very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <coughs> and definitely, I think, if I was going to be visiting there, I'd definitely need to be using Klarna. There you go. And that's just to buy myself a, a, a neck warmer. <laughs> aye, aye, exactly. <laughs> PayPal, paying sex. Aye. Does look, does look uh, very, very cool, though. Very cool, indeed. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Um, let's talk about the Pyrenees. Oh, well, uh, to be fair, at my age, you know, when I'm up in the morning, they are a bit stiff. You know, kind of, oh, oh no, no, not Pyrenees, sorry. No, no, no Pyrenees. Sorry, no. sorry. sorry Pyrenees. Pyrenees. So there's a bit of a down happening in the Pyrenees. So just to be clear, um, clampdown is a bit of a, an understatement. It's an outright ban. And a bid to limit noise pollution, combustion engine motorbikes are now banned from travelling through the High Pyrenees National Park, or to give it its proper name, El Parque Natural des Los Altos Pyrenisos. You out. really nailed that Spanish accent. I so was, did, honestly, I closed my eyes and I was, I <laughs> I was, was in there. The, I was in the Basque was region. I was, I was basking in glory <coughs> at that accent there. Do you know what I mean? That was stunning. I'm, I'm blaming the cold. Muy bueno, muy bueno. <laughs> eh? Barcelona. Uh, a special noise quality zone has been created with over, which covers over 80,000 hectares. Um, it's now off limits to bikes, quads and buggies. This 365-day restriction, or 366 if it's a leap year, you know what I mean? They're not making that express. They're not making the 29th of February every four years a special one-off. But I this 365-day restriction um, doesn't apply to cars or electric vehicles. Uh, Moto de Campo Sostenable. Moto de Campo, is that not that chef guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fry up a big sausage He's been in the news lately But we'll keep away for that one It's an advocacy group That works on legislation Regulating the practice 
of uh, sport and motorised access to natural environment, but in a sustainable and responsible manner. Um, they've said that the lockdown's unfair, it's discriminatory, and it only targets motorbikes, quads and buggies. Their legal department are actually studying the case at the minute. <coughs> Moto de Campo is backed by RFME, which is the Spanish Motorcycle Federation. Now, we understand the Moto Loud Pipes, the Moto, sorry, Loud Pipe saves lives, but are too loud a pipe now starting to cause a negative effect? Is this the start of more and more great biking roads being taken off the map for motorbikes because people drive, you mean, about... We, just uh, easily driving to find the loudest stuff, I yeah. Aye, and now people just going to there going, how how loud can I make my pipe? Now, oh. <coughs> we obviously talked about noise pollution and noise cameras and all this stuff. So hopefully that mean, means that this is a one-off, and eventually at some point it will get reversed. And I'm led to believe, for all its eighty thousand hectares, it's actually not as big as what it sounds like. Um, but still, the fact that they're clamping down on it because of noise pollution um, is absolutely mm. it's crazy. Now, we get that there would be um, an expense involved <coughs> to install noise cameras, and quite frankly, we don't know you mean, how it's much it can, can you actually uphold any ticket that comes off of that. Policing these roads is obviously not cost-effective, so a complete plan is cheap and... Uh, instantly effective but what does this do to tourism in the local area you mean is there an impact there i mean how does that affect the economy mm. spain's really good for reinvesting into its roads year on year on year to keep the roads great surfaces great is that going to have a knock-on impact to other areas who knows now the other angle from this is why not do something about the pipe is there a gap in the market for artificial noise to maybe be transferred, transferred back into the rider's lid so that it sounds like you're getting the noise, but actually it's not as noisy as it is outside? So something to kind of simulate the noise? Or is there another mar gap in the market that right now only do the Jekyll and Hyde cover where you have that functionality of being able to switch your baffle between modes to make it louder, quieter, whatever? Aye, you know aye. I mean? I'm a big fan <clears throat> of Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. <coughs> but they are expensive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it was, I mean, about, it was I about think 2,600. The trouble is that any of that kind of technology is going to be expensive. Yeah. Yeah. For the pan, you know, it's about 2,600 quid for the exhaust system right. fitted. Right. But even like technology, you just put noise back into your helmet and stuff like that, it's going to be expensive. You know, for what is probably a bit of a gimmick. You know, I know, um, I know a, a friend of mine a, a good few years back now, but he had a, a Cupra. Um, uh, and the Cooper had a button you could press to put in into sport mode, right? Yes. But it essentially played in the car. Yep. A, a, a big loud roaring exhaust. Aye. You know, you didn't hear it outside, but, it, noise. but like, it, yeah, but it made it made it sound like you had a big massive <coughs> exhaust and sports exhaust and everything, and with pops and all that as as you were riding along. And it was a very cool feature and great fun, you know, and and everything. But you know, I it, it's not a cheap car. Do you know what I mean? No. So, and my VRS did exactly the same thing, do you know what I mean? But obviously it would do, because it's the same company. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, again, it, it doesn't make you notice, you mean, that 
having that noise put back into your helmet doesn't let other cars mm-hmm. make them aware of you being about by having that loud no- that louder yeah. noise there. I suppose I suppose loud pipes save lives. It's fine, but really loud pipes ruin it for others. Aye, I'll, I mean? I'll just annoying. You know? Do you know what I mean? Aye. I'm all for having a nice pipe. Do you know what I mean? As long as it sounds the part and all that. But when it gets to the point where it's just really obnoxious, that's when I just go. Oh, Aye. I'm selling. A, I'm selling a new Facebook noise. group for the the Mutt Mongrel, right? So because Johnny does Mutt Mongrel, um, a, I'm a wee Facebook group for Mutt motorcycle owners, and they're always talking. About, and there's loads of these guys that have got a, a, a Mutt One Two Five or a or a Mutt Sabbath. 250 or something like that right? and and they are constantly upgrading the pipes to make them sound loud and loud and loud and that and, and that don't you know the much a cracking looking wee bike but it's a 125 so it's not the fastest thing in the planet <coughs> you know what i mean no. so do you imagine coming through a village but your big loud pipe going and then you're like hmm, just slowly going by it's out, sounding like you should be flying by at you know, hundred mile an hour. Do you know what I mean? And you can, and especially if the village is in the hill, that's you. You're screwed. You're not getting above fifty mile an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's just not happening. So you know, Aye. but they're, they're constantly searching for these big loud pipes for this small, small, uh, you know, single stroke wee bike. You know, it's quite funny. Aye, I know. I, just, I, I don't. So do you mean, I think will never stop people from wanting their bikes to sound loud to everyone else. And Aye. that's and and that is the point of it, isn't it? It's to sound loud to everyone else. And until until the the whole loud pipe saves lives is never going to go away until there's a a whole overhaul of driver accountability. Um, I mean, it's just any road user accountability, whether that be another bike, push bike, car, truck, whatever. Yeah, and the the education and the awareness and and being able to try and enforce that and the anticipation and paying attention to other roadiers and all that. But that's never going to change, do you know what I mean, realistically. Yeah. Although I do like the fact that, you I mean, you just meant, you mean, that 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 image of you and your wee mongrel gone uphill and in your head or in your helmet, you, you mean, you are Henry Fonda. But yet everybody uh, watching you going by going, there goes Jane Fonda, do you know what I mean, on his... Uh, so. Well, I was going to say, in your head you're Henry Fonda and... Uh, and uh, <coughs> easy rider, and but in in real life you're having fun now in a wheelchair. Do you know what I mean? Oh, oh, pushed up by an ass. So anyway, <laughs> there's an image. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I'll be interested if that continues or if they take it legally and what they can do about that. Aye, restricting access to that kind of thing. You know. Yes. Because you know? I'm I'm pretty sure there's been an awful lot of people with big loud car exhausts drive through there as well. Yeah. Oh, your Scooby drivers. Oh, let's not yep. get started. Let's move on before we go move on a on, rant. Yes. Next, we have the Buell Touring, touring Machine. So, at Daytona Bike Week, Buell revealed a different version of the 185 brake horsepower V twin super touring bike, which looks like it will be uh, here in 2025. Yep. The American company CEO, Bill Melvin, said that Buell is back and building a strong reputation as a small, responsive company building bikes to order and providing a unique customer experience. So CEO Bill Melvin said, we've tuned our approach to match customer feedback and will continue making the changes that deliver the best riding experience possible. So there was a first glimpse of this last year, and since then they've been off working hard on it. So let's see what we get to this bike, right? I thought you said. I thought you said something else. I just, I just realised you said they've been off working hard on it, 
I thought there was an uh, F-bomb yes, in there. Yes, I know there. you would, because that's where your mind goes. Straight to the gutter. Straight to the <laughs> gutter. Anyway, um, so let's, uh, let's see what we get, right? We get an 1190 V-twin heart producing 182 brake horsepower at 10,600 revs. And we got 106.6 pound foot of torque at 8,100 revs. We get 17 inch rims with Pirelli rubber. We get inverted front forks and a single monoshock, probably by Shaw, as that's who Buell using all their other models, uh, like the Hammerhead. The aluminium frame is also from Hammerhead. There's a new split fairing and modular headlight up front. Raised bars give it a more touring feel, as does the more forward control, more forward foot controls. Um, a very uh, stylish kind of single one-piece seat with red leather stitching is also very nice. A square metal luggage that looks like it's been lifted off a 40-year GS. Yeah, so we've got a big pile of luggage for it. Um, and the rest of the bike is in black carbon and yellow. Now, that's obviously, as you know, a colour scheme that you know I, I despise. Aye, so it's, see, it doesn't it doesn't the, appeal to me at all. See, now that you've said that, and you've said about the GS thing, that I, that the forty year anniversary GS was that almost that black and yellow yeah. styling. Do you know what I mean? So I that that does kind of make sense. Yeah. You've said that the price is obviously subject um, to, but we don't know what it is. But currently, <coughs> the MRP is estimated at twenty one thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. Or £18,500, uh, which does put it in competition with KTM Super Duke GT and the BMW S1000XR. Now, we've got a wee picture of it in front of us just now, and it does look really quite old-fashioned. It does, doesn't I think it? It looks like a bike from the 80s, kind of. I mean, obviously, it's got a lot of modern stuff, and when you look at it closely, it's clearly a modern bike. Uh, but not in a bad way. I'm, I'm, before before I, I stress, it doesn't look like a bike from the 80s in a bad way. It looks really retro. Aye. And uh, but, from, but, but not not retro as in the way you'd expect. When Triumph does retro, it makes a little Bonvilles and it makes a little Thunderbirds and all that kind of stuff, right? No, it's retro as in the bike you remember seeing when you were a wee kid going through the street really fast. Do you know what I mean? In the 80s. Could you, and, ca could you call it Faired Retro? Fared retro, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's got a big chunky, um, kind of frame on it, you know, kind of with lots of struts and things, uh, and nice, nice axe, nice colours in the the rear shock and everything. Uh, it's all tightly put together. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely looking thing. If you like that kind of thing, it's quite muscly looking. And I suppose being an American company, it is the kind of bike called a muscle car, in many ways. Is the is the scaffolding that the back seat sits yeah. on? Uh, Do you know I mean it just makes it look very? You know I mean structural. Aye, uh, yeah. so, industrial. And if you if you think about some of your American muscle cars, like your Dodges and stuff, they don't look modern, sleek, stylish. They're big, brash, chunky beasts, yeah. and I think that's probably a bit like that. You know, does that's it does look part though? I, I, I quite. Uh, I'll be honest. I quite like that, but then I do like the Katana. Which again ah, is that. is very similar in its <clears throat> fair retro look, um, mm -hmm. with the exception of the back end. We've just, just got uh, a side on image of it, but I'm um, interested if it was like at the front and all that. But yeah, I wonder if they ran yeah. it. I wonder if they ran out of money in the back end of the 
the the Buell the same as they did in the Katana. Aye. So it's a bit... Well, anyway, so uh, do Google it, have a look and see what you think of the pictures yourself. I like it. I think it looks, um, you know, it's kind of like a... It's a sports bike that an old man would ride thinking he was young. It's probably the best way to do it. Thinking he was young. There you go, big wave. There we go. The big wave, the tsunami. That, tsunami. Is, my young, that is my youngest. Just the me, one tsunami, that's right, just the one. Bringing me, bringing me in a refreshment for my razor blade yeah. gurgling throat. Yeah. Cool, so that's the Buell. What have we got next, that's? Uh, Dindaran what have we got next Dindaran Dindaran uh, Fast X which you mean could be could could be some sort of a modium um, or it could be a movie franchise that we all know and have watched for the last umpteen years this is the story of the custom Harley that's appearing in the new Fast and Furious so the latest and penultimate instalment of the Fast and Furious franchise hitting cinemas on the 19th of May we thought we would share a story about one of its new characters and it's not Jason Momoa so ladies if you're thinking it's Jason Momoa I'm sorry you're disappointed well, you're disappointed uh, but to be fair when the average bikers and a cave are on chatting nobody's thinking about Jason Momoa they're only thinking about no, the that's average true. bikers that's true that's true so, you know. you and I know he does listen to the show so Jason how you doing do you listen um, yeah but it's not Jason it's actually the bike it's his character's bike so Momoa plays a guy called Dante Reyes. So it's the son of Helen Reyes, who was the villain in, I think it was Fast Five. Right. Um, the one that they did, remember when they stole the safe and they drove it along, they pulled the big safe. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I remember that. I it was in right. Colombia, Brazil or something. <coughs> so he was the bad guy and Reyes played, this, Jason Momoa plays his son. Um, now... He's a menacing looking bad guy, but what is a bit different is he actually, he does drive cars and stuff like that because it's obviously a Fast and Furious movie, but he does cut about on a very unusual Harley Davidson. So it's a custom Pan America, but it doesn't look like a Pan America. But it, no, I was going to say, other, other than maybe like about a, a fifth of it, which you can I, maybe kind of relate to a Pan America. Other than right? the Rev Max engine and maybe the fuel tank. The rest of it doesn't look like a Pan America. Um, but essentially it's just been stripped down with the front fairing removed along with the square headlight, which some folk may actually say, well, hey, because it's butt ugly, that headlight. Um, but it's a, it's got a custom straight twin pipe exhaust in matte red, uh, or, or red for everyone else that's not from the west of Scotland, um, along with a matte black um, paint job, which really does look quite menacing, actually. Um, the overall look of the bike is almost it's very, it feels very flat trackery um, when you look at it. Now, as an ambassador and a partner with Harley Davidson, Momoa has his he's got his own clothing range in the states. What does he? With Harley does Davidson, aye, aye. Um, I don't know if you can get it here. I haven't seen it, but then I haven't purposely went looking for it. So, um, I, I wouldn't actually show him up by wearing it. Do you know what I mean? To be fair, actually, that, that's that's the reason I've not been. I've probably not known about it because I just I, I just I probably kept it off the radar because you know Jason, God bless you, son. Right, you know you you know you you're all right. You know you you kind of you're but, a decent enough looking young chap. You know, but you know you're you know when the, when the average bikers start putting your gear on, but we'll have to show you up a bit. it's embarrassing. Really, yeah, it's embarrassing exactly. So anyway, yeah. he used those connections that he's got at Harley Davidson to actually set his character up with a new Harley. Um, a very custom Harley for himself. Now, Momoa said, "The first thing I was asked was the first thing I asked was, what bike did I get to ride?" 
Oh, I just lost my notes. Um, got bike to get to ride. Um, and generally, it's usually like, oh, you can drive a Bugatti, a Bugatti or a Triumph or some other little small performance bike or something like that for doing stunts on. And he was like, eh, hell no, I want a Harley Davidson. So he called Harley Davidson himself and he called the CEO and he was like, hey, bro, and I'm quoting here, air quotes, bro, yep. can you help me? So they set him up with, they, set, they sent him six bikes. <laughs> You're like, can you help me exactly. out? There's a half dozen bikes for you. Um, and do you know, if we, had, if we had the parking space, again, Jason's all right, you know, but if we had the parking space and we'd spoke to Harley, I'm sure they'd send us they'd seven. They'd send us six bikes at all. Seven, mate, seven, they send us seven. Seven. One aye. better, one better. Aye, three each and one we can share. Um, but yeah, so Harley Davidson sent them six bikes, totally hooked them up, and... Um, it, it definitely seems to fit in with the, the menacing bad guy that, that he's that he's playing in the new movie. Um, again, normally we wouldn't call this kind of stuff out, but just the fact that it, it's a very a very custom looking Pan America. It's yeah. actually really nice looking, which makes you think, "Come on, Harley, why are you not making something else a bit more modern?" Do you know what I mean? Um, as opposed to, I mean, continuing with CVO street glides and road glides and all this kind of stuff. Actually. Build something like that. I mean, reignite the Bronx or something like that. Bring the yeah, get yeah. the get the younger guys it, back in. I suppose in a way, it's from Harlow's perspective. If people start getting really excited about it, <coughs> it's, 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 it's a marketing. It's a um, it's like a, its own focus group in itself. Just watching the film. I did notice an advert the other day for pre-order on the new Live Wire. Wire the the Del Mar. Del Mar, yes, sir. You so, can is it is it next next couple of days at twenty is it tonight maybe uh, tomorrow is it you can register aye um, and they're like only that. doing a hundred they're only doing a hundred of them so first hundred the this kind of fancy paintwork and all that stuff aye. and everything apparently the paintwork takes five days to put on by hand yeah I know so um a, anyway it's coming in about eighteen nine hundred or something like that for the live wire. The new one. That's not bad, actually. Uh, it's, it's, it, I mean? When I saw the price, I went, do you know what? That's that's doable. Aye. You know? It's, it's not bad, um, do you know what I mean? It really isn't know. that bad at all. But <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, and it's not just 16.3.1 seconds. I'll, I'll just phone the CEO, mate. I'll get to, something aye. pretty close. Cool, uh, pound meters of talk. Something I'll, like that, I'll phone the CEO. I'll get it hooked up. It's fine. Or I'll give Jason and a no call. Problem, Jason will get aye. it set up. Here's your electric bike. No charge. Hey! 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 So, hey Oh, missed it again. Uh, thank you, so it's what you like. You can get yeah. two for that. Thank you. Anyway, so then um, talk about no charge. I need to remember um, red rim, red rim, red rim, red rim, red rim, red rim, red rim. I'm sure I saw a film called that once. Anyway, right. <laughs> so sharp breaking helmet. What's next? We've got a helmet, a new helmet. We're talking about helmets earlier on. We're going to we're going to uh, finish with helmets. So we started with a helmet. Yours, Dan. We're going to finish with a helmet. This is shark has brought out a new full-face helmet, but it's a new full-face helmet with a twist. It has an automated, integrated, an automatic, integrated brake light that's wireless, right? Ooh. So, ooh, I know. So it's not hooked up to the, you know, it's, and it's it's wireless, but it's not actually hooked up to the bike in any sense as such. The Squall, SKWL, the Squall i3, was introduced in 2015 and had rider visibility LEDs mounted that could either be on, off, or biking. After a few years of work, including 30 months of development, 
the new second generation Squall i3 lid hits the market and on the rear, obviously, has two LED <laughs> brake lights. Yeah. Obviously. You and mean, on the front, aye. So obviously, uh, that fuck nearly... if it was on the front, wasn't it? Yeah, no, yeah, I'm putting brakes on, cost, yeah, on How do you mean you never saw my brake lights? Well, they were at the front, yeah. <laughs> uh, they are neatly fitted um, in the exhaust of the helmet. There you go. Now, here's the clever bit. The helmet doesn't need to be wired to the bike. It doesn't Bluetooth to the bike, um, or it doesn't need a funky app for the bike braking. Nope. Instead, okay. it has a triaxial accelerometer to determine when you are braking. The accelerometer essentially is a sensor that measures movement in three directions that are all right angles to each other. And this calculates your rate of deceleration, and under normal braking, the lights will flash three times per second. But under hard braking, they will flash five times per second. The helmet has also front-mounted white LEDs, again, built into the chin vent. These can be set to permanently on or blinking or off. All the lights are powered by an internal battery. It will charge to full in three hours and provide 12 hours of use. If there's no activity after two minutes, the helmet goes on to sleep mode to conserve the battery and after 24 hours will fully switch off. The helmet is ECE 2206 rated and to provide the best fit shark of the belt, the best fit concept, that's kind of handy. That's a great, that's a great name for something. They want to provide something called best fit and they've called it the best fit concept. That's brilliant. That's, that's genius. It's straightforward, you know, isn't it? Isn't it? Aye, it's like, Don't overthink it's like, it. Aye, you know. It's like, I want a latte, so I'm going to go up and order a latte. Yeah. Anyway, so concept method involves taking a 3D head scan to fine-tune the fit. Shark will build up this concept on more helmets in the range. Now, the important bit, the price, unbelievably, this lid is available for pre-order at retailers now from $239.99 for a plain black one. Other colours are available. It says about the BBC. Other manufacturers are available. Are available. Um, think... Other colours are available, but $239.99 for a, for a shark helmet, which has got 3D head scan technology in it and has an integrated brake light, Aye. which, will, let's be honest, will work even when your engine braking because there'll be a rapid deceleration when your engine braking. Aye, and it bu- bu- bups and aye, I know. Yeah. I think they do, so, they do like multi, no, I'm going to say multi-coloured, but you know, they do like, like in a, Coloured, cut those colour variants. I think they're two seven nine. Right. I think that's what I've right. seen them at for pre-order. But still sub sub three hundred for a helmet like that with that technology in it. I know full face helmet twenty two oh six. We you mean the brake lights and the wee lights on the front and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah, cool, brilliant, very good. So there you go. That's a quite a, a nice, wee interesting, <coughs> interesting wee bit of a uh, um, headwear there. Lovely bit yeah. of headwear. 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 We just like saying headwear. That's it. Aye. <laughs> There you go. And that was... See, I've done it again. But you say it every, every time you record, you say, I'm going to change that, I'm going to have to change that to, that was the news I know, or something. But then, I never enough, do. then I don't have enough buttons. Do you know what I mean? I should get rid of the laughter and all that kind of stuff just so it's rim shot because we only really use rim shot and then yep. the only other two we have been using is our kind of button of the week which we haven't done for a... Well, we did it last time. And then obviously... The Diamond Dog. Diamond Dog's button which mm. is now going to stay... Do you know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure Danger Zone's in there because we can't always that yeah. one either. Absolutely. So there um, you go. Uh, I've gone all dark. Wait a wee second there. I'll just uh, I'll turn my lights on. If you want to dark Hey, mode. Google, turn the bat cave on. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole other folk listening to this podcast, right? Aye. Whose fucking phones have just went nuts. I don't know. For a bat cave to turn on. 
Uh, well done. Talking about um, talking so, about back yeah, caves man. and it's non-bike related, yeah. um, but it's kind of bike related because there is a very cool bike in it. Uh, the second trailer's <laughs> dropped for the Flash movie. So, yes. And uh, the bat, the bat flick is in it, and he's three wheeler. I think it's. I think that's definitely the Ben Affleck one. It's got the three wheel bike. Aye, because would you call it the other one that was filmed in Glasgow was just the Batman. Aye, the Batman. Aye, and that was the one he kept. That was the one he binned up at the Acropolis. So aye. yes, yes, that was. So there, there we go. go, folks. That was the news. There you go. Nice one. Next up, well, actually, next up is something slightly different. It's no the big question. It's the big interview. So, as promised, um, we did promise we would get more exciting guests on this year, and oh my god, we have got a little cracker um, for the show this week. Ladies and gents, we are genuinely super excited to welcome to our humble little show, YouTuber, bike tester, more importantly, dog lover, Lee Vigor, also known as Buddy the Biker Dog. Yay, I kind of think my buttons. <laughs> I buttons are there somewhere, but... <laughs> um, Lee, how you doing, mate? How you doing? And buddy, buddy, how you doing? Yeah, buddy, he's, he's there. Hi, buddy. What we do? Uh, <laughs> so have you got me in that blooming broom cupboard again? Talking to folk. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in my little pen shed, me man cave. Um, Very impressed with the the Mandalorian poster in the background. Nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little bit of Mandalorian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Bonus, bonus mm. points for that. Absolutely, yeah. Bonus yeah. man points for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's because anything I've got has got to come out here. It's not allowed to be the house. It's got to live out here with me. I know my other bits of trinkets, you know. Yeah. I, I started doing that and then, the, and then the wife suddenly decided, I could put the washing up in there. You're like, no, you can't. Oh, put it back in the house. Yeah, that's against man cave rules. So. Uh, mm. uh, even my female dog doesn't get in here. My my male dog gets in here, great thing. My female dog, she doesn't get in here. She'll come to the door and look in, and then she'll go, nope, and then she walks away again, which is quite good. So, oh, oh. Yeah. here he is. There Hello, pal. Hello. He's like, I just want to just... cuddle. <laughs> yeah. He's still just feeling a little bit, a little bit fragile, a bit oh, shattered. Nice. He's been at it for days. Oh, days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll tell you out, son. That'll tell you out. Oh, so I remember my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, it'd, be t- oh, it'd be in my 20s again. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to read it again, though, sometimes when you think about it. I'm quite happy that it's been, you know, got uh, no regrets. No. Oh, God, no, absolutely. I'm, I think you're right. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy I'm much closer to retirement now than um, I was when I was in my 20s. The thought of having to work for all the years was just scary. Yeah. Certainly wouldn't want to be in my twenties nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely not. You know? Yeah, especially with all the uh, <laughs> camera and phone technology. Come on, they'd have caught off the stuff we did as kids. Oh, yeah, so we'd have got more than viral. Oh, God, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, some of us are get viral, but we got antibiotics, but it's fine. So it's all good. That was the only viral when we were in the twenties. <laughs> I know. If something's gone viral, you went to the clinic. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So what we what we are we are we what we drinking tonight, chaps? I've, I've already confessed I'm on Iron Brew because I was uh, too many pints of the black stuff last night. But the pot still in Glasgow. If you're ever in Glasgow, it's a great pub. Um, does a very nice pint of Guinness. So 
I've on the uh, apple juice. Nice. We got our apple ties and apple ties with a kick. I'm on, vitamin, I'm on a vitamin C to get rid of the cold. There you go. Nice. One. So to be fair, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big drinker, so I'm a cheap date. It's uh, a couple of tins, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, I'm usually that. To be fair, just last night I just got the taste. You know. Oh, <laughs> find your legs and you run with it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, he, he had a free pass in there, That was it, yeah. All pass. All pass. Yeah. Oh, it was good. Good night, though. Good night. It was near. Apart, apart from having a taxi back from many things, you know. So I was going to take the, the bike in, um, but then I just went, no, 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 no. It's too nice a night to take the bike in when there's, you know, they had Guinness Zero in the pub, but I was like, no, oh. that's. That's uh, not for me. Not this time, man. Maybe next time. So, you know. At least you know a pub that does get a zero now. Because we did ah. we were going to try that. Because we did a, yes. whole, we did a whole episode on whether zero, zero strength beer was any good. And I think we found two beers out of the whole selection. Yeah. Some of them were absolutely yeah. vile. Shocking. <laughs> and some of them just, just like drinking cornflakes. So you're just like, whoa. That's just... <laughs> I, just I said that to a guy last night. Yeah, I said that to a guy last night, and he was drinking away. I think it was like beer and tea or something. And I went, "Do you know thing? It tastes like cornflakes." And he's just went, you bastard. So I can taste now. You bastard. <laughs> I say, once you've implanted that memory, there's no exactly. Going back. That's it. No going back. So I'm waiting. So, I'm, wait, I'm waiting. Erdinger giving us a cease and desist order. Put us down. Our sales have plummeted. People are complaining it tastes like cornflakes. That's it. But no, we're trying we'll try to do you a favour here. Change the flavour. Change it exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, we fire off for some quick fire, usual things. kind of easy ones to get us started, yeah? Um, <laughs> uh, we start with the usual set of questions. So first question for you, Lee, is what um, are you currently riding um, at the moment? Uh, best bike in the world, Honda monkey bike. I haven't watched your monkey video yet, I'm going to watch it, so I'm not... Absolutely love it. Um, it makes me feel 30 years younger. And just the fact that all I've got is 60 miles an hour just makes you try harder everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I went out on the wife's Tiger. She's still up there at the Tiger 800. And I do need to get another big bike because the monkey does a lot of things, but the, the one thing it doesn't do well is nationals. Right. Um, and I went out the other day. Um, just uh, for a few hours on the Wasp Tiger and i got to say it was nice to get back to a bit of power to the wrist um, but yeah at the moment purely beyond the monkey I'm loving it yeah, I mean, we've, we've one got of the boys in Triumph Glasgow West Coast Triumph he's got a monkey as well and he keeps it he keeps it in the kitchen not much to his wife's delight as you can imagine but he literally parks it in the kitchen when he's not using it so oh, he yeah. loves it he loves it yeah, well, well I, I bought one monkey <laughs> and uh, my wife, because she teaches CBT on a Saturday night, so she started pinching it. Uh, and in the end, she stole it and that was it. So I had to buy another one. So <laughs> I've got two monkeys in the garage now. But you know what? There's always room in the garage for a monkey. Absolutely. That's the thing. Couple of monkeys, couple of monkeys, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, nice. yeah get a couple of monkeys in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, space, there's space everywhere for a monkey. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. that and they do 160 miles to the gallon in this day and age is absolutely amazing. Oh, unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? Keep your other take, get a monkey bike. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly wow. that. Most forever. Yeah, forever. Uh, and now, now we know that you've got you've you've got been riding for years, and you've got a massive, uh, interesting career around right around motor 
like you essentially lived the dream, really, haven't you, for umpteen years, you know, testing bikes and all that kind of stuff. What was the first thing? What made you become a biker, get you into biking? Uh, Branzach. Uh, I used to live a mile away from Branzach when I was a kid. And we always used to, there's a certain place we could throw our bikes in the bushes, jump over the fence. And it was free bike <laughs> racing for us as kids, you know. Um, and just that, and Speedway, my dad used to take me Speedway like that. That smell. You get it with, I had some scoops go past me the other day, Castrolar. Oh, mm-hmm. that, that smell is a next level. <laughs> it really is. And it just takes me back to those days. And then I didn't really do any riding, a little bit as a kid around the fields, you know. Um, and my mum basically says, there's no bikes. No one's having a bike. She stopped my dad having a bike. He, he was a biker. And she says, look, it's all getting far too dangerous. And, and that was it. I sort of put it on the back burner. Mm. And then it was actually my mum that put me through my test. Um, <laughs> the passion never died, you know, even yeah, though I wasn't yeah. riding through my 20s. Um, the passion never died. I was always going to the bike meets, just like looking at the bikes and the smell and the people. And uh, and I think that's part of it. It's the people. It's the, the camaraderie of the bike life that you can stand there and just talk shit for hours, you, you know, with like-minded people Yeah, um, that, you, that you don't know from, from Adam, you know, and all of a sudden friendships um, come from that. And then, uh, yeah, so then I was just a, pretty much an avid um, when I did do my test. Um, it was just the love of motorcycles, love of speed. Mm. Um, I was in my sports bike um, era at this point. And then in 2009, uh, I actually landed a job as a uh, multi-license tester. So because I've got my Class 1 HGV, my car, my bike. There's a, um, what they call the Proving Ground, a place called Myra, which is probably four miles away from where I live. And they test everything there. I've, I've tested lawnmowers, sit on lawnmowers, trucks, tanks, cars, um, electric scooters, electric chariots, everything. They just test everything, jags. Um, but bikes were always the, the thing that I kept, being drawn to wanting to do mm-hmm. within that environment. And at that point, late 2009, uh, the company I was working for landed the contract with Triumph. And that's how really it all started with Triumph. I was doing the job that their test riders didn't want to do, which was durability. And I was basically just bouncing around a cobble track all day, just seeing what I could break. Uh, <laughs> did 20, 21 bikes I snapped it off in, in two years. I think I still hold that record now. Um, wow. and it is a brutal test and at the time Triumph were the only ones really doing it um, old school a lot of the other companies are using rigs uh, but Triumph they really they test like nobody else Royal Enfield come close and I'm glad to say a lot of motorcycle companies coming through now are starting to realise they've got to mm. you know mm. your product is only as good mm. as, as the R&D you put into it and, uh, your warranty is only you, the best warranty in the world is one you don't use okay. uh, and to get that you've got to you've got to put the test in and try to do that meticulously they really do they're not only really good at making top class motorcycles they're really good at making top class design engineers engineers technicians because everything's there for them to learn their skill and uh, that's what try to on and, and that's why you see that the quality that, that triumph produce 
uh, and they'll continue to do so because they obviously continue to do that testing. And it's one of those. So, yeah, that, it's one of those ones. The the there's so many so many manufacturers these days making very similar style bikes that if you don't have that reliability and don't have that strong enough you mean brand and warranty if you mm. buy one and it fails and they don't like it they're going to go elsewhere then they're going to tell everybody else as you say it's, it's all about community it's the big community of bike you mean the bike yeah. community and then they all start telling each other well I wouldn't buy a whatever it is because yeah. it keeps packing in it keeps breaking <clears> it <doesn't> snap <throat> that's went wrong so uh, it's, it's, it's good to know that I mean, they're, they're doing it properly. Yeah, I mean, no matter how, it doesn't matter how much testing you put in, there's always going to be a component or yep. at some point or something that goes wrong. It's just trying to minimalise that effect throughout your machines and you, the bikes that you're selling. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you look at some of the top motorcycle manufacturers, you just know that they're, they're doing that testing. A lot of the smaller ones, you can see they're not prepared to commit. And, and I've realised that more since leaving Triumph uh, in, in 2020, that, that that nobody really they really don't test, especially in this country. They don't test like Triumph. Royal Enfield come close, and that's why Royal Enfield are dominating. But for me, they're dominating the world market now with their bikes because they bought their R and D and they're testing to the UK in 2014. They stole a lot of Triumph engineers, technicians at the time. I can remember the panic um, going through Triumph because engineers were getting emails and they were doubling their wages and, and giving them a promotion they wouldn't have necessarily got within Triumph for a couple of years. Mm. But with Royal Enfield doing that, they then excelled themselves from the bikes that they were selling to what they're selling today, yeah. which price-wise is a really good bike. Mm. It's still not the quality of a Triumph, no. but then it, there's, a bike, there's a bike for everybody's budget, and I think that's what Royal yeah. Enfield have covered now. Uh, they've kind of got that, that kind of slightly lower budget market kind of sewn up really haven't they if you like that kind of style of bike you know it's just and they are cracking they're gorgeous looking bikes I love them yeah, yeah. and you can see the you can see the quality <clears throat> I had um, an, a, a, um, it was a 50 51 plate um, Enfield bullet and that thing had the gearbox on the wrong side and they were still making those bikes up until pretty much Enfield brought their R&D to the UK. You know, they were still relying on the technology they'd used for the last however many, 50, 60, 70 years that they were building those bikes. And that's when Royal Enfield changed the game. Uh, and people, and they say about Triumph as well, they'll go, yeah, but it's not a British bike, is it? Because, you know, they've built in Thailand or within yeah. Royal Enfield. Yeah, it's not a British bike, it's built in India. For me, they're British because they're designed, they're engineered, and most the, the most thing is they're tested here. So once everything's production ready, then yes, they're assembled elsewhere in the world because that's the cost-effective way to do it. But they were born here. It's a British-built bike. And that's the beauty of it, is the fact that we've got so much talent in this country. And uh, that's why we've got some classic and really good bikes out there, you know, through yeah, British companies. Yeah. I, I bet you could take any manufacturer at the minute and I bet you their, their actual build is done somewhere else. It might not be R&D, it might not be quality tested. You mean, oh, that may be done a completely different country, but it could, there's every possibility it's built and it's actually assembled in Taiwan or India or China or, do you know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're all the same. 
you know what I mean? So, and I think you're right. I think as long as the quality controls put in place and it's governed, then I don't see the. I mean, it's 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 just more about cost effective for labour. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. to build it in those countries, which it's a shame because it'd be nice if it was all built here. And I know Triumph are still building bikes here, are they not? I think they are still building some yeah. bikes here. As far as I know, because obviously um, the 260 of us lost our jobs um, in the pandemic because Triumph made it probably the biggest mistake they've ever made in their lives uh, in their working history was they panicked the same as the rest of the world did and I remember getting the email and, and that's how I was let go and my wife my wife was a developed test rider for Triumph for 11 years and she was the only female test rider for Triumph ever and they don't have a female test rider there there's just not one there and, and that's a shame in itself because it did sort of give a different perspective um Oh. that only a female can yeah. give. But I remember getting the email and it was just like due to the, the, the you know, COVID and the, the infrastructure of the pandemic, unfortunately, we're, we're having to make this decision and let you go and terminate your contract after 12 years. Thank you very much. Goodbye. It was like, wow. And yet, uh, and yet the pandemic made the biking world explode. The amount of, it did, yeah. The amount of CBTs and full bike licenses and all that. There were, I mean, there was <clears> there was massive backlog for mod one and mod twos to get completed. You mean when yeah. the pandemic kind of came its first or kind of first end? I know we were back into lockdown, but at the first end, there was a massive backlog. And yeah, and I, and I think that it was not only Trump's biggest mistake; it was a lot of companies' mistake. <clears> yeah, yeah, so totally. yeah, People have got this disposable income, you know, with furlough and and savings that they've got, and everybody's thinking, do you know what, I could die tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to buy that bike. Yeah, I'll put that bike in the garage. I don't care what she says because I could be dead tomorrow. And all of a sudden, like you say, that caused a boom. And unfortunately for, for Triumph, they, just, they made, they, they cleared the, like the whole back of the chessboard and they got, they got rid of many amazing engineers and amazing, you know, amazing technicians from across the board. On the flip side of that, that's now spread across the British motorcycle industry. Uh, and the knock-on effect from that is that talent now is now spread about. So New Norton, New Norton is 98% triumph. Uh, and you look at every other small motorcycle company, they're all spread about. There's engineers I've worked with all over the place now. Uh, Maven Motorcycles is pretty much 98% triumph. Um, the, t- the two guys that came up with the idea... Um, they needed a skill set to pull it off. And all of a sudden, there's a whole pool of engineers and design engineers at their disposal. They're like, wow, yeah. it must have been there. That, you know, a dream for them. It was like, wow. Wow, what? Anyone oh, got so much? Yeah, look at it. We won the lottery. So much to choose from. And, and you can see now they're dominating the electric bike market um, across the world. And, and purely because of the talent they've got within their, you know, within their ranks. And I think that's that's a good thing. The the Norton one didn't surprise me because I know when we were at when we were at MCN in November, we were at Norton stand and we were talking to one of the girls that was there and she was one of the kind of quality <coughs> engineers. Um and they actually took they actually poached half the aerospace industry. Um just so she could so that they could obviously enhance their I mean, their quality control and bring it to that level of you mean where we're talking microns that the, the aerospace use and yeah. t- such a good chat. She was so, just so interesting just to chat to her. And you think, and it wasn't yeah, she was lovely. Were like, wow, Norton have really stepped it up here. Do you know what I mean with that? But then you couple that with the, with the, 
the centuries of experience they must have if they've taken all those engineers and technicians for, for triumph and you think not must be in a really good place moving forward do you know what I mean I, I think they are for me I'm a little bit disappointed I think they're dragging their heels a little bit uh, considering the talent they've got I, I was signed to know from um, November 21 through till March and I was the test rider that deemed the V4 dangerous. Um, I, I did, I've done more miles on that bike than any other man on the planet because there's, there's not a bike that's run that long. What what Stuart Garner did to the motorcycle industry is just, the things people don't realise or know what that man did to the motorcycle industry, um, it's shocking in itself. That man did no testing. His bikes were pretty much taken from CAD and he just threw them together and £45,000 later. I do feel for the old customers because they've yeah. been left they've been left out to dry. I get them contacting me on LinkedIn saying, you know, what can we do? And it's like, there's nothing you can do. There's, there is now 36 points of danger put in place. You can't ride those bikes, MOT those bikes, or even insure those bikes. And as far as I can tell, Norton aren't giving um, those customers their money back. And they can have them fixed if they pay another 10 grand. And, and I'll be the same. Why would I want to give you more money to rectify something that was was just more dangerous? I think if the majority of them had run, then somebody probably would have died on one of those bikes by now for, for old Norton. Moving forward to what I call new Norton, I was when I started in um, November 21, they were just moving into the new factory and it was, it was still being built inside. Um, and seeing it finished now, the, the technology they've got, it's amazing. When I say I feel a little bit let down, I feel a little bit let down because they just seem to be polishing the old stuff rather than um, getting on with designing new new bikes and making it a totally new company. Um, I think it'll come. I just think they're just dragging the wheels a little bit. Mm. Uh, time will tell. Time will tell. They've definitely got the talent there to start making amazing bikes. That's the thing. They've got the talent. They've got the facilities. They've even got the money. Um, TVS yeah. is a massive company. Uh, and the amount of money they've already put into it um, is astronomical. But at some point, you've got to start making bikes that you can sell. Yeah, TVS, uh, I think, are part, are part of the Tech Mahindra group. I think the t- TVS thinks the they're Tech Mahindra vehicle services, I think it is, or something like that. So mm-hmm. Tech Mahindra is an absolutely huge company, huge it company. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And to be fair, they're doing really well with their their bike infrastructure now. Maybe they've taken, they're sending their guys over and they're learning from the Triumph guys, you know, how to do their job better within TVS because all of a sudden within the last two years, it's like, no, it's TVS are making some really good bikes rather than what they've been making for their engine market as, as a cheap commuter. Because mm. engine's got to be, apart from China, I would think mm. one of the biggest biking communities in the world. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> have you been there, Dan? Have you, you've, I've, you've experienced I've, that firsthand? I've, I've been in Mumbai, and it's just... I wouldn't ride a motorbike in Mumbai. I definitely, <laughs> would, I definitely, wouldn't, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't ride a Norton or anything like that in Mumbai. A monkey bike, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Um, but <laughs> definitely not a Norton. I decided if I would, I'd love to go to India. The, the the Indian press that I got to work with are amazing guys. But I think if I was to pick a form of transport, for me the safest transport in India would be a cow. 
Nobody's mm-hmm. going to eat a cow. I'm not going to touch that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Put a saddle on a cow. <clears throat> you have the safest ride no. anywhere in India. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, what What would your dream bike be then? If you were going to, if you could just get any bike in the world, whatever you wanted, just what would it be? I'm looking forward to this answer. Knowing how many bikes you've tested. Oh, exactly. I'm going to say yeah. you've been in so many. It must be a hard to that's, choose. But that's the tough one. So many I'd like to put in my garage. Mm, yeah. Um, so if I gave if I gave you thirty grand right now to go out and buy a bike, what would you go for? Probably. Um, Monkey bait and keep like, change. Yeah. RG500 <laughs> two-stroke. It has to be a two-stroke. Right. From back in the day. Is that smell again? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, and the fact they were absolutely insane machines, you know. Mm. Uh, when you look at even the 125s that, that were through about two-strokes when, you know, I was a, a young adolescent, them things used to shift. I have a rapid. Uh, there's no one two fives on the market now that uh, could keep up with a one two five from back in the day. You know, it's a totally different beat. But yeah, there's so many, so many bikes I'd love to to put in the garage. There's probably five Triumphs I'd love to own. Um, yeah, there's so many, so many <laughs> decisions, decisions. Mm. Yeah, I think it would have to be an old two stroke from back in the day. I think everyone we've asked that question to over the the last couple of years, I think, has the same answer. They go, just the one? Oh, I can't. Oh, it's just, yeah. no, yeah, we need to have about six. So uh, that's, that's fair enough. Do you mean? Yeah, that's just, that's just a starting point. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's just to get me about to the other garages to find other bikes to buy. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what about your dream trip or your dream road? Um, either you've been on it or you you, you would love to to do it, you know. It's the cobble. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to do cobbles. Morocco. Yeah, oh, not cobble. Wow, well, yeah, not cobbles. I'd, I'd love to do Morocco again. We did um, the first Tiger in 2017. It was the first time we took the Tiger to do a press launch to Morocco. And what an amazing country. It was a hard press launch, it really was, but it was an amazing country. But I only got to see such a tiny piece of it. Mm. Whereas I think there's so much more in that country to see. The people are beautiful. You, you know, they've just got, they've got nothing, but they'll give you everything. Mm. And, and that's their mentality. If you need it and they've got it, you can have it. And we've lost that. We've lost touch with that in the Western world. Oh, totally. Um, Absolutely. I've got it and no one's having it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. You know, um, and I think spending, nearly three weeks with those people in that environment. It, it was a tough environment. It was probably the toughest press launch I've ever done because uh, we were living in uh, scout tents at the time. And, uh, they had the first snow in the Atlas Mountains in 12 years. Uh, there was people turning up on scooters from all over the place because they'd never seen snow. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was probably the hardest press launch I've ever done. But out of all the countries I've done, it was the most beautiful and one I would like to explore more, definitely. Nice. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like Morocco just to try the sand. I'd love to try the sand. Yeah, because I'm crap off, right? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a club, but I'd love to try it. Do you know what I mean? I'd probably be on it for about 10 minutes and go, no, I don't like this. Get me back yeah. to tarmac. <laughs> Long way to go to tarmac. I've been watching, um, obviously, I've got itchy boots. Oh, um, yeah, itchy, yeah. 
itchy, itchy tits, as my wife calls her. Um, <laughs> so I've been watching her this because she's just done Morocco. <laughs> she's just done Morocco and, and down into Africa. And it's like saying the sand, it's like maybe if I was younger, you know, there's a, it's, it's not an easy ride. No. It's, uh, and even even that that's a small it's, it's a delight bike but even with all the gear she keeps on it it's like that thing's just you shoveling it out of sand every two minutes do you know what i mean so i uh, fair play to her mm-hmm. do you know what i mean um I've yet to. I've, I watched the Morocco part, but I've only seen when she's went in Mauritania and that. Yeah, um, I'm need to catch up on that. I've been. Yeah, Mauritania is definitely uh, eye opening. I can see why Teapot probably had as many problems as he did. And, and do you know what? She's she's definitely has got some gonads because what she deals with and the people she deals with. Um, she she dealt with it a lot better than I would. I think. Uh, I was surprised when it, when I. Obviously, we're watching it through, and then missed a couple, and then saw she was doing Mauritania, and I was like, "What? You're off your head? No, yeah. no yeah. Uh, Will you? Will you survive? It's probably doubled her, her viewing rates just because I want to see if she survives. Well, I'm away. With, I'm away with Bruce in May um, on tour, and um, I'm going to need you to catch up because I'm going to say, "Here, wait a minute, you big pansy." G tits went th- all the way through Mauritania, not a problem. <laughs> you need to go there and shat yourself. He's a top man, I gotta say. I've met him a couple of times, and he's, he's just a lovely bloke. And I think that's you know, I'm in his clan um, just because I think he was you know he was worthy of of my support. Yeah, we're the same. Um, we're the same. Totally yeah. Top man. He just is top man. And I mean, they're in the Isle of Man at the minute. I'm, gutted because I can't I couldn't go on that one and then I'm gutted I can't do the chicken strips one you're doing because that's going to be a beautiful coastline um, uh, I just keep looking at the weather going oh that fucking weather yeah, needs to change that weather needs to it's change it's definitely a mixed batch yeah but you know, one of those ones you can't expect to come to Scotland for a week and not get fucking wet because that's just that, that, exactly you know, that I mean if well that, bit aye, if that <laughs> why well well uh, well Hopefully at that time of year it won't be too bad, but yeah, you do that West Coast in the middle of August, you're going to get fucking eaten alive. Yeah. I was watching a guy doing it before, I can't remember what, what his YouTube channel is, and he got to, they got to Fort William, and they had this campsite just before Fort William, and honest to God, <laughs> they got up in the morning and it was just a cloud of my Jesus, it was even I was watching it looking going... Jesus, I wouldn't want to stay there. That's just, <laughs> and it was in the helmets. It was in. The, it was they were everywhere, and they had to. They were at ten miles along the road, and they had to get back out again and shake all their gear after trying to go on the mat because they were inside the helmets. So they're going along the road, but the helmets getting eaten alive inside your helmet. You think, ah, oh, no, no, no. North Coast five hundred in August is just a silly idea, and you. Death wish. I'm about to turn my eater off. She was cooking me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. It's about yeah. 80 degrees in here. It's a sauna. Don't mind it's a sauna. <laughs> oh. Anyway, right. I think that's the end.
that's the average bikers questions then that's the four we usually ask everybody <clears throat> so that's good nice one. That was yeah. let's get on to some main questions ian what have you got first one for us then right? so for anyone who hasn't seen your channel um so let's what what do they get from from watching you um when they join your channel so what 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 would you describe your channel and, and what it what it gives to the viewer for us uh, it's pretty much just a crazy old man and his dog. Yes, that, that, that love riding motorbikes. Uh, and I, I never set out to put Buddy on a bike. To be fair, I never set out to have a little dog. I, I've got five dogs. I've got two bulldogs. Three two hours now. And believe me, the bulldogs are easier. Uh, <laughs> but but Buddy came around from an accident that I had um, while I was working for Triumph in 2018, first of June. I did 10 years without scratch. Been many, many a time, many a day where, uh, you know, you see that moment and it's like, oh, oh that's close. <laughs> you know, and it's always some other idiot that's trying to kill you. That's the thing. As long as you're defensive right, then yeah. you've got half a chance. But on this certain day, it was a lovely day. Everything was against me, um, including the bike itself. There was, a, there was a problem with the bike. And that basically put me into a wheelchair for seven months and that's what destroyed me mentally it just I thought typical man that's fine put a plaster on it six weeks get the plaster off I'll get back on a bike back to work everybody's happy thank you very much you know don't work like that you've got to sit in a wheelchair for seven months and that was it it was like the, the ground just opened up and it just swallowed me to me and I know I wasn't going to be in it forever I can't imagine what would have happened if they were going to tell me oh, that's sitting in it forever uh, you know, that's just for yeah. me, I just can't even comprehend it. Uh, and honestly, my wife being a smart cookie, because I, I wouldn't get in the wheelchair. I was like, no, I'm just stay in the bed. I was living in my, my lounge in a hospital bed. And uh, I was, uh, I'd just stay in the bed for seven months, you know, wake me up when it's done. And I'll go back to work because that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to get back on a bike and get mm. back to work. And uh, she put us two together. And I remember the first day that he, he was home, um, I shouted up to her, you know, he's done a shit. And she shouted back, we'll get your effing wheelchair and pick it up. It's your responsibility. So that was that. <laughs> i got no choice, had I? Oh. Otherwise, I had to lay this bed sniffing his shit. So it was like, so he sort of encouraged me to, to you know, this isn't, my life's not over. Uh, and I obviously got very self-centered and sank into that headspace that for me at that point in my life, it was over. You know, I just wanted to be back on a bike doing what I loved. And uh, so we did all the wheelchair together. I then stopped on my wife's bike. They told me at Christmas 2019 I could get out of the wheelchair. And that was after six months. And I think it was purely because of him making me do stuff that it got me fitter and kept me, you know, and yeah, got me yeah. to the point where they said, yeah, you get out of it. So I said to her, right, you need to get your uh, street out on the 2nd of January, because I was on over on the 1st. I said, I'm going to take your bike out. She says, you can't even walk. And I went, don't worry about that. I've got sticks. So I had these folding walking sticks. Mm. So she got the bike out, and I jumped on and folded the sticks up. I mean, the lady in the garage sit looking at her face when she said me coming to pay for my fuel. She's like, well, why are you even on a bike, let alone walking, shuffling? And I got home that day, amazing ride. I did 250 miles and just revitalised the soul. And I got back, and she says, you can't leave him again. He's just sobbed and cried, and he did. He sobbed for two days. So I made him what I call the buddy pod. 
And I thought, well, I'll try him. And there was a, a guy that I was following called Motorbike Millie. And she wears a crash helmet. And if you've seen Motorbike Millie, and he's got MS. He's a Scottish lad. Um, um, up there. We see him. We see him quite a bit, actually, because he's he's in and out of our local Harley dealership quite a bit yeah. with Millie. So uh, yeah, right, so he's. he's a lovely guy, a really lovely guy. He gave me lots of advice, and the, the one bit of advice he gave me was, you can't make him do it. If he wants to, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. It's as simple as that. That you can't. There's no making anybody. You know, human or or animal. So I said, no problem. So we took him out for the first day. We did 250 miles. I was at a set of traffic lights and this crazy woman jumped out to the middle of the road, scared the life out of both of us and he dropped bike. Started taking photos of us and she was that's amazing, absolutely amazing. And that sort of started the cogs ticking and I thought maybe I could do some good with it and we can start raising money for charity and that's what we started doing. So we, we started that year raising money for air ambulance and um, it sort of continued from there. So the, everything else sort of fell into place. I got no no knowledge of anything when it came to YouTube, not really Facebook or anything else. I was too busy out on the road, incognito, hiding from the world. You know, that was my job. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden, I'm putting myself in front of a camera. And um, so, yeah, we just, I find it like now more therapeutic. Um, it's not about becoming famous. It's not about, um, in fact, getting a big following scares me because I've got a really nice little community. Yeah. where I get no trolls, no... I speak to some people, like, oh, all I get is idiots saying this, saying that, and I'm like, oh, I don't get none of that. Maybe I don't want to grow any bigger than this, you know. Um, I thought I would get a lot of flack for why are you taking your dog on a bike. Well, you know, I took both my kids. Both my kids work for me as pillions. Mm. Both my lads have done over 100,000 <laughs> miles um, as production as production pillions. And, uh, and my daughter, uh, 10 years old, I took her on a tour around France on the back. It's the same. I've got the same things in my mind when I've got him on the bike as what I do if I've got anybody else on the bike, you know, that consideration. Uh, and that's how it's sort of gone on from there, really. Um, like I say, I'm more like Odo, you know, Odo out of Game of Thrones, the big oaf that carries around the intelligent star of the show. That's pretty much us. <laughs> 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 I carry him around people want to meet him they want to talk to him and I just oh you know um, so yeah so it started off a mix and match of everything really because right. obviously we were in lockdown and so it was a bit of camping a bit of kayaking because you could do that and, and obviously then the motorbikes and we do more motorbikes now um, and the same thing so we're just trying to get out a bit more do a bit of a few more adventures we did uh, the Four Corners last year on um, we had to buy a bike for less than a thousand pound, and we had to dress up as superheroes. So we did it two up, well, three up, and uh, we did it as old age Ninja Turtles. I was Leonardo Limp Dick, the uh, <laughs> wife was ratty as hell, and he was Master Fanny Rat. <laughs> and, uh, and we did that um, in six days. We did the four corners, and it was hard work, but we raised nearly four thousand pound for wow. Rainbow, the Rainbow Trust, and then. This year, nothing as of yet, really. It was just sort of, this year is, is flying by. I just can't seem to catch my breath this year. Um, but something will happen, no doubt. So, yeah, pretty much the channel is just a crazy old man and his dog. And, that is it, and you, pretty much. And you, you say about the buddy pod, so what? What? how do you create the buddy pod? You've made it, haven't you? So it's, gonna, it's, it's your own, yeah, yeah. It's so your own the, invention, isn't it? 
being well, working for Triumph, I had a lot of luggage. Mm. Um, so every bike, you know, we're testing the luggage as well as the bike. So um, we shifted to like the Givy tank rig system in about 2016, I'm guessing, I think it was. So a lot of the Triumph luggage became that system. Um, the two big bags, the Explorer bags, that got fit in perfectly. Um, the very first one, because he was so small, I gave him a uh, like a space helmet. Um, if you look at the very early videos, it was basically a um, a drinking bowl from uh, uh, I think it was Poundland, and I just mm. stuck it on, drilled some holes in it, and then I took it out and tested it before I put him in it because I, I didn't fancy it like vacuum packing him, like crumpling. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Plastic shaped chihuahua is never a good look, is it? <laughs> oh. um, so yeah, I tested that a few times at um, at um, track speeds on on a private road. And uh, yeah, it's all good. And say he got in it, he got in it in where he is now. He's gone to sleep, and um, he couldn't get out of it for two days. And then I took him on the bike. And every time I get the bike out now, that's it. He's at my ankles. He's pulling on my trousers. Yeah, don't you don't you leave me? Because the hardest thing was when I went back to work. Because um, obviously my boss at the time says you can't bring him to work. He, he can't be in the MCN every other week. On a prototype bike, he says mm. it's not happening. So he says, "Yeah, I get that." Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Tribes yeah. do test in yeah, Chihuahua, yeah. you know. I can, I can um, so, see, so, you can just see it now in the MCN. This blinked at blink. Hints of new Triumph Tiger on the. Where's that? <laughs> where's yeah, that? What's that? What's the co-pilot for? It's security. Yeah. That's what I call it. I say to it's security. I said, you try and get my wallet. Even I can't get my wallet sometimes. <laughs> on. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much how the two of us started together. Um, Amazing. And we just, we keep having fun. So he's got the monkey now. And obviously this this bag was for the pan. Um, and then he's got his other bag now that uh, goes on the Triumph Tiger. Uh, and then I'll probably adapt this one for the next big bike I get, whichever bike that is. I haven't quite mm. made my mind up yet. Because I'm assuming it's just so many to choose from. That's I'm assuming it's just like a normal tank ring style bag where it just kind of clicks on and what is it? Yeah, this this one that we had for the four corners um, is actually a purpose uh, bag that Bagster make. It's a puppy bag. Um, you'll see a lot of dogs in America, but they're not allowed on the front. It's against the law in America. They have to go on the back. Oh, uh, whereas that law's like a in Europe Europe or this country. Yeah, so they have to be classed as a pillion, um, which is why you'll only ever see them on the back in America, um, and it's only really the Europeans, um, and obviously us, that, us crazy people that put them on the front. But there are more and more people doing it now. Why leave them at home, you know? Um, you, would have, um, you would have thought it would have been more distracting having a dog as a pillion on the back. I get, obviously, they're secure and fixed and stuff, but surely... You mean your your inclination to be going? Is the dog all right? Is the dog all right? Is the dog all right? Whereas yeah. if they're up front, you know they're all right because they're sat right there. You can see them. So yeah, that that'd be me. I would be able to settle, not knowing what he was doing behind no. me. Whereas in front, I know if he's getting restless, if he's had enough, and he wants to have a break. Aye. You know, I can tell that from from looking at. It. Aye. The only thing that's really changed is um, I'm not allowed to follow the wife anymore. So for years, I was always happy following the wife. You know, I could sort of guard her back doors if you like them. Um, yeah. Always happy at the back and let her be at the front. He won't let me. She's not allowed. 
oh, oh, he goes ballistic. And she does it on purpose now. She'll overtake me. <laughs> and she'll do it knowing, I, I, yeah, she'll do it knowing that we're coming up to a set of bends that I, I ain't going to be able to get back faster till we're out of these bends. <laughs> and he goes ballistic. Absolutely ballistic. Doesn't do it to anybody else, but she's not allowed him for it. So, so yeah, it's, they're, they're part of your life, aren't they? They're, you know, um, I think the hardest thing will be when the time comes that I'm going to have to let him go, I suppose. That's, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Because um, I'll never replace him. It's not like you go, I'll go get another dog and I'll just put it on the bike. I don't think that bond. Because no. like I say, I've got I've got five dogs and I've not got the bond I've got with him. Um, so he's registered now as my emotional support animal. Oh, because lucky. I found through lockdown, if I didn't have him with me, I was getting very anxious. And I've never suffered with anxiety in my life. But then all of a sudden, crowded places. Um, uh, and we went to B&M one day and the security guard will let us in and because uh, he, he'll walk but he'll sit in his bag most of the time he's quite happy there and um, he said he can't come in and I went but he's my um, I made something pick up he's my you know um, support dog and he went well what does he do I said he stops me punching stupid people in the face that ask me stupid questions <laughs> <laughs> he comes in he goes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I, I sort of realised that I, I, maybe I need to go <laughs> yeah. I need to go down a legitimate route and get him registered so he is, he's been registered for two years now as uh, my emotional support animal which means I can pretty much take him into restaurants pubs um, there are still a few places Scotland is amazing for, 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 I've got to say when we did the Four Corners Scotland was absolutely amazing. I didn't come across one place, one pub, one restaurant that would not let us in. Um, you get back to the UK, and there was quite a few places. There were like Witherspoons was the worst. Really? Um, yeah. They said we only let blind dogs in. It's amazing. I was like, oh god, I can't see. We only let blind dogs in. He's blind, right? Can we come in now? Aye. Shame on you, animal cruelty, taking your dog into <laughs> other spoons. <laughs> well, I, th- I thought I'd get a lot of that flack for actually having him on the bike, but as it happens, I don't. And I'd get maybe people, you know, and I think it's because it's the biking community. I think maybe people looking in from the outside might might have those thoughts and those opinions, but I would say pretty much across the board for the biking community, they think it's amazing because mm-hmm. we all have motorbikes, you know, and why can't a dog love a motorbike? I know when he wants to overtake, he'll get, he gets just as frustrated as I do if I'm stuck behind a rider that's a little bit slow. Oh, he starts looking at me and saying, come on, kid, pull your finger out. You know you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're right. And I think probably dog lovers as well get it. You know, as you were saying, you can't make the dog do do that. You know, you, you can't make a dog go on a bike. Either wants that it doesn't. And if you know dogs, yeah. you, you you know fine well that that dog's not going to be on the bike unless it wants and enjoys being on a bike. You know, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think he's just happy if he's with me. Yeah, and I think that I think that's the bond. I don't think it's I absolutely love motorbikes and I want to get on that bike now. He obviously he, he's got no problem with it, but it, I think for him it, as, a, mm-hmm. as an animal, it is as long as I'm with you, I am happy. I mean, we found him on a puppy farm and he was five months old, no fur on him, and it wasn't the dog my wife had took me to see. It was another one, but I heard this yapping, and I wheeled myself around the corner and I found this cage with him in and let him out, scooped him up, put him on my lap, told the lady he's coming with me whether you like it or not, and that's it. We've been together ever mm. since. And I think that bond, I, he saved me, I saved him. 
and that's how Amazing. I think we both see it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the that that's that's what that's what makes it different. For I think the other dogs you've got is that because of that time that timing for you and for him, it's just it's it's quite a remarkable story. Actually, it's it's quite good. I do like that. Obviously, being a dog lover, having dogs, you mean we we should do an average dogs in a cave showing. We should do a segue. It might be a bit rough though, you know. Hey, so, hey, hey, hey. I always always like your saying at the end about the dog sticking his out the window. That always just gives me a warm feeling because that's that's exactly so what true, we're fighting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly that, yeah. It's, it's a thing of freedom. So there's sometimes when you're on the bike, you just come, I'm just gonna flip the light up just so I can feel that wind. Just just for, yeah. yeah, just for a few minutes, you know. Even just in the ice cold, you know. Maybe yeah. not when you're maybe not when you're riding through a named storm in Northern Ireland last weekend, but you know, other than that, you know, <laughs> possibly, you know, that was. I'll lead back then. Yeah. Aye. Okay. Um, aye. Did you think dogs stick their heads at the car windows for the mental health aspect, the same as we do? Do you know what I mean? I love going out in the bike just for the mental health aspect. Did you say? It recharges the soul. It clears the brain. I think that's why dogs do it as well. I think they just stick their heads out and just go, oh, do you know what? Such a hard life. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye. Actually, we're talking about that whole community thing, and obviously you said you quite like the size that your channel is because you don't get the tolls and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, yeah. from our perspective, we don't have a massive following on YouTube. Do you know I mean everybody more listens to the podcast? But we're at that kind of point where you're right. It's not a, it's not a huge following, but it's it's, it's sizable that we don't get all the trolls and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the amount of people that message us and sh- with signs that they've seen in shops or on holiday that say. Only a dog understands why he sticks his head out the car window, and they've seen <laughs> yes. the sign come on. They take a picture and they send it in, and you go, oh, "That's quite clever." You mean I'd love to say we coined it, but we didn't. Maybe we should put a patent. Yeah, on. Uh, no, we, we've gone viral. <laughs> yeah. Hello, that we've gone viral. <laughs> <laughs> yes. work? Yeah. No, unfortunately not. You um, go back to the vehicle testing. You'd obviously said you'd spent years, obviously doing vehicle testing. How did how did that come about? How did you get into that dream job? So I bumped into a guy that I taught to drive a lorry 10 years before. And I was like, hey, all right, Phil. And he left us. We, we had a family run at all his company at the time. And he left us to go testing um, Jags at, uh, at my reproving ground. And um, answered him from the time he left. He loved the guy. And I said, how are you? He said, where are you living now? I said, there. He says, and me. He lives on the same street. <laughs> <laughs> For five years, and we never bumped into each other once. And uh, I, I, I says, I'd love your job. I says, um, that sounds amazing. You know, um, you're obviously still doing it. I says, for me, bikes would be the pinnacle if I could do bikes. And he actually said at that point, he says, we don't, we don't actually have a contract for any bike work. He says, um, and, and we parted company. And then, about a week later, he knocked my door. He handed me um, a medical form and says, get your medical, you've got a job. And I went, Do, don't I need an interview? He said, no, no, I spoke to my boss. He says, he's actually after what they call a multi-license holder. Because I had my, my class one, my car, my bike, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just happened to fit into what they were looking for at that point. And that's how I went into the job. And then 
probably six, seven months later, um, they got the contract for Triumph um, to do the, all the durability work. And I was obviously traveling to work on a bike and all I'd talk about was bikes. And when I finished work, I, you know, I'd be sitting in a car doing 150 mile an hour all day. And uh, I'm going on my bike tonight and we'd go to all the bike meets. And, and um, he says, I want to move you into the bike permanently. Um, take, he says, I might need you to do all the testing now and again, but would you be happy to take over the bikes and run that side of it for me? So that's what I did. And I obviously built a really good rapport with uh, the managers, team managers at Triumph. And it just, it went from doing durability to doing everything really from high speed. Uh, there's a bank track at uh, Myra. So it's nearly three miles long and three corners, four lanes. And the fourth lane is virtually vertical. Wow. Uh, you, you, you can you can chuck an Aston Martin around it at 150 mile an hour, take your hands off the steering wheel and it take itself around. Um, <laughs> just with the, the nature of the physics of it. Uh, on a bike, we'd only ever do um, constant 120. Uh, um, and that would normally happen on each development bike between their mileage schedule. So once they'd done 10,000 mile on the road, found a turn up, they'd chuck a bike out and say, can you go and do 750 mile, 120 mile an hour? Which sounds amazing, but believe me, once you sat at 120 mile an hour for 10 minutes, it's just becomes not mundane it'd be wrong to say it's mundane but it just becomes normal i suppose in the sense of you don't actually realize how fast you go until you go to come off you realize how fast you've been going for the last hour or however long a tank of fuel right. last year and then it's just like and then go i could just go off here no uh, yes, I just started doing everything. And then I went direct um, with them purely so I could achieve more and do more, I suppose. Uh, late 2014. Uh, in the meantime, my wife was going to be a, a midwife. The kids were growing up. She says, oh, I'm going to be a midwife. I went, great, no problem. You crack on. And then uh, in 2011, my boss says, I need a pillion for two months. Do you reckon your wife would be interested? And I went, my wife's her own person. You ring her up and ask her. So that's how she started. So she did. With one of the tribe test riders, she was out every day doing 400 mile a day. Four or 500 mile a day would be your average. What's up, kid? And um, after the two months, she rang me up. She says, uh, oh, I've got a job. I went, have you? She says, yeah, I've, uh, they've just offered me a job as a test rider within the same company that I was working for. So that's how she started. Oh. And she went on to durability, and <clears> that's what she was doing, until eventually after, I think about 2013, she started doing road mileage, and that's when she was doing the majority of her, her tests. She would go back to track every now and again, but the majority of hers was, was road mileage. So I think she's covered, I think we worked it out a couple of months ago, she's probably done just under 700,000 development miles on the road for Triumph and I topped a million so I did, a, I did over a million miles but then if you put in the development the, the durability miles so Pave is three um, one mile strips and you've got three cobbles but you've also got what they call corrugation and so every other lap you'd have to do a, a corrugations which are perfect for finding out uh, different structural stress problems 
So every lap um, of that pave, or should I say, every 1,200 miles of pave, so every every bike would have to do 1,200 miles without braking before you could say it's passed. And 1,200 miles is equivalent to 120,000 road miles in abuse. Um, so when you work it out in, in what it would be, I probably did over 5 million, nearly 6 million um, durability miles in the first two years. You were cracking off 100 miles a day. And to be fair, I was doing seven days a week for years, not because I had to, just because of Here's a brand new bike that no one else has ever ridden, that no one even knows exists yet. Go and ride it as much as you like and try and break it. Okay, then. And I'm getting yeah. paid for it. You must have been in bad. Uh, the, in the ATM. Oh, yeah. All my biking mates hated me. They just hated me. You know, <laughs> and, and, and then after time, I couldn't tell them anything anyway because you've, you've signed yeah. an NDA, you know, you, you can't actually say anything. And it's quite hard, especially when like, people go, oh, you know, I'd love them to do this. And then in my mind, I'm, I was always two to three years in the future, if you like. I was dealing mm. with the future two to three years before it happened. Um, so on durability, we were always the first ones to get the brand new models because until we could actually pass it off, then the road mileage guys wouldn't get it, the track guys yeah. wouldn't get it. Um, the emissions guys wouldn't get it. Um, so, yeah, really the, the durability, they were exciting times, but I did lose an inch. I, sure, I lost an inch in height where my, my spine over that two years compressed. So on my next medical, I was actually six foot, so six foot one when I started. Um, and that's just for the pavy. That's just for the pavy, yeah. There's, um, there's a classic video on Top Gear years and years ago where they took three cars, Jeremy Clarkson, the Amster. Um, I think it was a Rover Princess, and they were actually up more on the pathway. They got eggs. The doors fell off. They did, they did about three oh, laps. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. I do remember that now, yeah. That's right, I remember yeah, the eggs. That, that, that was my playground, mm. day in, day out. That, that's, that. And then you have things that would be in there, like creek crossings and, and curb strikes. So anything that um, Triumph would ring me up, say, uh, I could always remember there was a guy in America was trying to put a claim in against speed triple saying that the um, the suspension was faulty. It, it snapped. So they gave me a speed triple and for a week I was having to slam it up curbs, slam it off curbs with a pillion. I was having to do endos and slam the back down as hard as I could. And I just couldn't I couldn't do what he'd achieved, basically. Um, so his claim obviously fell through in the end because we proved that no matter what it didn't matter what we put that bike through. Mm. Um, we're doing creek crossings at 50 miles an hour trying to snap it. It just would not snap. So we don't know what to this day, what he'd actually been doing to it, where he'd just been constantly stunting it um, or what he'd done to it. But we, we couldn't achieve what he did. So it'd be all sorts of things, liability cases from all around the world. It's amazing um, what people try to put a claim in for. But if you can prove that you've done the testing, and that's what Tripe are really good at, mm. you know, and that, like I say, that's why even to this day, even though part of me really hates them because I'm no longer part of it, I'm mm. forever going to love what I achieved at Triumph One and for the bikes that are out there. Um, every single bike from 2009 up until the Tiger 1200 that, that's just been released, that was the last one I had any dealings with. Uh, bearing in mind, I rode that four years ago 
was the very first prototype. Um, and obviously the pandemic held that bike up a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. I did the, I did the first 10,000 miles on the road on the very first prototype on that one. Um, so, yeah, that, the, every, every one of those bikes has got a little bit of my soul in it. And when I look at uh, so many memories, <laughs> so many, so many things that I could, I could probably write three books really over the years. Um, I think the pinnacle was when they started getting me doing press launches. And that for me was the ultimate every, every winter from 2016. So my first press launch was the, um, and it, to this day, it's the best one I ever did. Um, for for the electricity that I just felt from the journalists, and that was for the Thruxton and the T120 Black we, we released in Portugal. So we did the T120 in the morning, took them out on the road ride. So I, as, a, as a test rider, I would basically just be a lead or tail rider um, for that event, and then we would basically take the world press on a a route that we'd we'd spent the last four days previous putting out and, and learning. So by the time they got there, we were gods because we knew the road like the back of our hands. Yeah. And they go, damn, these guys can ride. Yeah, yeah, but we know the road like the back of our hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's local knowledge. It's one of them. Um, but then in the afternoon when we did Thruxton, and to this day I've never seen journalists that were trying to buy that bike with their credit card on the coffee break. They were like, I want that bike. That's yeah. a stunning bike. Uh, Love it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's still one of my favourites, really is. Um and obviously, when we were working on those for us, that's about kids. You come out. <laughs> oh. There he goes. Is that it? Bring it the star. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Yeah. Just Odo again, look. Just old. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, the press launches were <clears throat> were good. Um, how are you getting on with your? That, the one question I've got is because um, it really did. Um, because it is definitely for me out of the whole triumph range. It's a Marmite bike. How are you getting on with your Speedmaster? I absolutely love it. Right, the only way I can do, <laughs> the only way I can I, I say this, the way I describe it is um, I am I am that small child watching chips. Now, yeah, that that is what riding a bike felt like. I thought it would feel like when I was that age. And then I got on that bike, and I've I've got the I've put a luggage. I've got the panniers on it now. I've got a screen on it as well, so I've put the the, the long haul screen on it. And and I am just back to being a small child and chips. You know, I just I just it's it's the bike from is yeah it's just like a perfect fit. Absolutely love it, and of course it's a chrome edition, so it just looks stunning. You know, and it's yeah, you know when you know, it's polished up, when it's polished up, which I, which it is at the moment, up, yeah. yeah, and 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 you know. Uh, it's, I've done it's 600 miles now so it's going for its it's going for its service next week and uh, but I took it I did take it through Storm Noah last weekend in, in Northern Ireland and I, it, it was some of the worst weather I've ever ridden a bike in and I, I had no qualms about riding on that bike it was like if I was going to go through that kind of weather that bike to me is just you know and I know you asked did I, did I test ride it I didn't test ride it before I bought it um, I sat on I sat on it a lot, watched a lot of reviews on it, and my son's got a bought the the Bobber Bonville, 
Bonneville Bobber. So um, I, could, yeah, I know I know the kind of the engine and everything, and and I had a street cup um, before I before I get the sports to the Harley for a short period of time. So there was there was nothing. I, I had total confidence that the that the engine and everything would be fine, and I would love it, you know. And the only my only thing I was slightly worried about was the the beach handlebars. I thought, well, I'm either going to love that or it's just going to be, as you say, kind of a bit of a marmite kind of seating position. But then I went, but the possible worst I can do is just get change the handlebars if I don't, I don't like it. And I just adore it. It's just like it's the I've always wanted. I think it's probably the best way to, to put it. I'm not a fast rider. I don't want to be scooting around, uh, doing sports bikey stuff. I just want to sit back now and just take my time and just and just love being on that bike. So yeah. I can't wait to get it service now so I can just really open it up right, once it's done its first service. So, yeah, oh, love it. Just love it. It brings a smile to my face oh, every time I bring it out of the garage, you know? I, th- I think that's the perfect example of that. That's the, the beautiful thing for me about motorcycles is mm-hmm. there's a bike for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, and the confidence that you can get when you find that bike that's for you. The reason I call it a Marmite bike is out of the whole Triumph range, it was the one bike that was very controversial between the test riders. And there was riders that didn't want to ride it, there was yeah, riders yeah. that did. Whereas you didn't really sort of get that with any other bike. Mm-hmm. For me, it was it's it, for me it's ergonomically wrong. It it just hurts my back. It just now the bobber is in my top five. I was one of two test riders that did the most. Um, the, the most miles um, on that bike in pre-production. There's a, another test rider called Wobbles. He, he beat me. He did sixty-five thousand on it. I did forty-eight. I think I did on it. Six hundred and ninety mile. I did in one day right. on the bobber. And the bobber for me, I love absolutely love. There's another good uh, press launch I absolutely love. But I love the bobber. But the Speedmaster, it just doesn't fit me. I have got a funny story about that with my wife. Now, so they gave it my wife. Um, the very first one, um, as, as as in the mileage bike, yeah. um, you, you get three variations. So you get what we would call P2, P1, T1.5, so three. So it go from the very first prototype, then to the second one where you've pretty much proved off the parts off the first one onto the second one, and the third one would be you guys get production ready, and yeah. we would do another 20,000 miles on it, depending on the bike, on how many miles each one would have to do. My wife only did... Um, I think it was 1,200 miles. And she ran me up crying. And she said, I can't ride it. And I says, I said, well, what would you mean you can't ride it? She says, I just can't ride it. She's five foot nothing. And she struggled with the, the leg length. Um, so she persevered for a couple of days. And yeah. then she went into my boss and she says, she says, I, I can't ride it. And, and to be fair, as a test rider, it's, it's not a thing you ever want to go in and say to your boss, you're self-employed for one. I can't ride it. So if you don't got a bike, you're not working. And because he said to her, well, what's the matter, Aileen? And she says, she started to cry. She says, well, it's bruised my fanny. She says to <laughs> a point, I, <laughs> uh, he was quite straight-laced and he didn't know where to look. <laughs> and she sort of said it again to him. She went, I'm telling you, Steve. She says, it has bruised my fanny. I can't sit down. It's that bad. And they took her <laughs> off it. And I, I always remember that bike. That's the Fanny Bruiser. That one. That's the one that. Put, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I may have to change its name now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, again, it's just down to the ergonomics. You know, yeah. for you, if it fits, 
it's got the same engine as the bobber. The, yeah, the, no. the throttle response and the torque in that that engine is just astronomical. Yeah, it's superb. Yeah, and it, as I say, I've I sat on it so many times in so many different guises. Whether it was, you know, just like the the, the standard paintwork one, or whether whether it was, and I sat on it with the shorter handlebars. I sat on it with mid controls and everything. You know, I, I you know I sat on a lot of different versions of it, so I was pretty confident. And, and to me, that seat is just like sitting on a couch. Just, I just, it's so comfortable for 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 my for me. And I'm five seven, so you know the, the leg length. I, I, again, I was I was thinking, is it going to be too much stretchy? But it's but it's just perfect for me. It's absolutely perfect. I think it's it's probably if if somebody's going to design a bike for me, that would be the the dimensions of the bike that I would want. It just fits my shape. And as you said, yeah. there's a bike for everybody, and I've, that one just fits me like a glove. So, yeah, it's a, it's a keeper then. Oh, I, I I can't see how I would ever want to get rid of that bike now. You know, you, you've had some good ones. The street cup that was another favourite. I quite like oh, on that. Loved, and, and actually, when I when, when I was on the street cup, when I was taking it in, because I traded, I got rid of, the, I traded the street cup in, and I traded my Harley Davidson Sportster S in, um, which I was never hundred percent happy with. Um, fast as great fun in terms of speed and everything, but I came off it two days after I bought it on a roundabout in a patch of diesel, and I just think that, that to me just put me off. I, I didn't have the confidence in that bike. That I that you know that that I get whereas I can chuck this wee speedmaster around a around a bit or whatever now and just go do you know this is this is a dream to to, to just chuck around you know the the balance and everything on it is just it's just great I just didn't have that level of confidence after and it, and it's my fault I, I don't the the sportster ha- should handle really well and around these things it was just as you say some something gets in your head with certain things and I was just no I just can't I just I just I was I was actually happy to get rid. Of the, in fact, I almost felt relieved when I got rid of the sportster. You know, when you when you just know it's the right decision. But when I rode um, Abigail, who was the street cup, um, when I rode Abigail back to Triumph to trade her in, there, there was a tear in my eye going, maybe, yeah, maybe, I I could, maybe I could keep her. You know? I keep as well, yeah. And, and everything, but, but in Triumph since she's still sitting there, with, you know, on sale, and I keep going. Maybe I'll just buy a bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just, just, if just I had, if I had the space, special days. <laughs> I know. No, so, yeah, that was a, a brilliant bike, and you know, as you said, so well made and just so responsive. And even after sitting for you know a few months and everything, you just got on it. It's just, just incredible, incredible. And that's why I had no qualms about getting the Speedmaster from that perspective. Absolutely not. So, but no, it's just perfect for me. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, we we genuinely well, I say we. Obviously, everyone that listens to the show never ever thought that Abigail or the street cop would go, purely because you know, I mean you've had that you did you'd had that street cop for a while. God, I'm still on my one two five. When yeah, you I got a new twenty in twenty eighteen May twenty eighteen. I got it. So yeah, so that's what five years I'd had the street cup. And... Quite, quite surprised that bike actually went. Do you know I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But they go. Then, you know, but then there was, you know, two insurances, two road, road, te- you know, road, de- you know, two MOTs and everything. Now, you know, just like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to take a wee step back. I'm not saying I won't have another one at some point again. Maybe yeah. you never know. Um, but just yeah, and it was black and yellow, which of course is some of my favourite colours. So, on on just about everything. So, you know, as you it, as you know, unfortunately, it got the nickname of the, a lot of people start calling it the poor man's thruxton. But I always disagreed with that. I think it sat in its own category. 
especially in the 900. It was, mm. it's, it's actually the one bike out of everything I had to do with. It, it's my personal best for a day's mileage. So mm. in one day, I did 1,158 miles on that mm. bike. And I loved every minute. I used to shove my feet over the pillion pegs, just lie on it. And it's the same thing. It just didn't matter what you, you, you threw at that bike. It just took it, you know, from yeah. the chassis to the tyres to the suspension. There was nothing poor about that bike at all for me. It was top class. It really was. Yeah. It still is. I think it still is. Yeah, as I said, that, I was genuinely wrestling with getting rid of that one. But yeah, the cost of keeping a bike isn't as cheap as people think it is. So, you know. No, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah so, but, um, but yeah, no. I may, I may get another one again in some in in, in the future when I've, I've got more okay. space to keep them. You know, <laughs> but, but no, the Speedmaster just I'm going out in it tomorrow. Can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm already yeah, excited good. about going out in it tomorrow. So yeah, I, that's when you know that. I did have that question on my list of questions was so pre-production on the Speedmaster. Hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, it was for me. It was probably the one bike out of everything I ever and I didn't do a lot on it purely because I just <clears> I didn't have that infinity and that bond that that you have with it and, and as a test rider you know they're paying you basically as a customer and that's all it is it's it's what do you like what don't you like what can be better what should be better you know mm-hmm. um, and with motorcycle production frustratingly there's a lot of things that can't get changed at the point where you would like them to be changed. But that doesn't mean that they'll never get changed. So on the next generation, those things will probably come in because I always found a lot of the things the press say bad about press, you know, when they're on a press launch, not that they they never say anything bad about a bike on a press launch because they never get invited back afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) When they, they, they throw one to the magazine, anything negative they've got to say, I can guarantee we've already said it as test riders, hmm. but it would have got to a, to, to, to a level where it's, well, yeah, unfortunately it's too late now because the tooling's been made for that. The tooling's been made for this. We're just going to have to suck it and see. And there's lots of examples all the way uh, over the last 10 years of, of different things that could have, should have, uh, and needed to be better. But that's how you develop because as you go on, that's why trying yeah. to get better and better every year because what doesn't get changed right now will definitely get changed on the next generation of bikes. Uh, and that, for me, that that's a beautiful thing about development. You might not see your feedback on this bike, but you will on the next one. And those things, you know, just take their models to the next level yeah. as the years go on. And that's why Triumph for always knocking out a better bike than the last one. So your bike will be better than the first one because there'll be things on there that test riders have pulled up that says, you know what, this could have been better, should have been better. And Triumph listen. You know, and, and that's the thing. And the engineers listen because they're passionate about what they do. They want to give the customer the best the best experience of owning a motorcycle. Uh, and you, you've obviously got that with the Speedmaster. Yeah. Have you have you ever read an article in whatever publication after a press launch and went through it and they've listed off things that they didn't like about it and you've went, yep, said that, yep, said that, yep, said that, yep, said that, but know that, there's a development bike which won't get released for another two or three years that they've already fixed those issues on and it's out on Pavi or out on track or whatever at the minute. Every single comment. Every single, there's not one comment that the press make that that we haven't raised because we obviously get to spend the time on the bikes. So we're 
to live with the niggles, if you like. Um, and the press, they're very good riders and they're very good at doing our job. Honestly, it's like my channel. People keep saying, Lee, you should do bike reviews. I'm like, I can't do bike reviews. <laughs> Nobody will give me a bike because <laughs> I'm going to give you the biggest shit sandwich. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer's worst nightmare because you'd pull in every week for your, 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 your team chat on the bike and you could see them. They stood there. They're, they're, it's like they've just had their first child and they're proud and they should be because they put a lot of work into what they've done. And I come in and tell them it's shit. This is shit. That's shit. This needs to be better. That should be better. And you can see the, the, the life force draining out of them. But you've got to take it to that level as a development test rider. I've got to give them the worst for them to make it the best. Yep. A journalist is, course, gonna, yeah. Yeah. Is, is just going to whitewash yeah. over a few things and maybe not pick a few things up because if they don't, they're never going to get another bike. If, if they say something bad on a press launch and I've seen it, they don't get, they don't get a call back. They don't get to come back and stop in that five-star hotel and get led round the the, the the roads of Morocco, the roads of... So, so they keep it very um, PD, if you like, very, mm. you know, where everybody's happy. Um, enough enough to tell a publication, but also... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 a free yeah. Trip. I said to Simon Wee years ago, um, I says, I, I, the only time I buy a magazine is if I need to keep the wind off my chest. and Because for me... What's written in there is what they want the customers to hear and pretty much what they want the manufacturers to hear. They want the manufacturers want the MCN. That's a classic one for you. Um, MCN holds so much power within the motorcycle world. You know, they would always be invited to press launches a day early. They would always get extra time on the bike. They would always have different and better privileges because you know, Triumph knows a British company, they need MCN to be on board and MCN know that they also have to have that relationship. Um, I think overall they, they give a good review. There's a lot of YouTubers I've unsubscribed from because I could just see the dribble pouring out of them. And on some of the bikes that I've ridden, it's like you just make it up now to get views and you just, there's, there's, mm. it's all good. There's no bad. And do you know what? There's no really bad motorcycle out there, but there's no perfect motorcycle out there. There's, every motorcycle has a floor of something, and that's development. Because if they didn't, then how, how do you develop? How do you, yeah. how do you push the boundaries further the next time if it's perfect? Nothing's perfect. No. And sometimes people make out that it's the perfect bike, and it's really not. And it's one of those ones. So I, the, the, I can't the... do bike reviews. <laughs> 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 one of those ones the, the the bike may be perfect for you but if you're being really honest yeah. there'll be things about it you don't wish were that wee bit better do you know what I mean that were just that wee bit yeah. sharper or slicker or you mean didn't clunk as much or you mean whatever it may yeah. be do you know what I mean but you still love the bike do you know what I mean so aye, aye that's interesting um, I always say the best the best motorcycle in the world is the one you own the one that puts the smile on your face is the one that makes you feel like I'm getting up tomorrow morning. I'm going to throw my leg yeah. over on that bike and I'm going to forget all the nonsense the world is dishing out because I'm going to go ride that motorbike because I'm in love with it. That's the best motorbike in the world. It doesn't matter whether it's an Honda Monkey bike, a, C a C90, a, a, a 
a pan European. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what make model it is. If it's your bike and it makes you smile and gives you that warm glow inside, that's the best motorcycle in the world. Aye, absolutely. That's yeah. every motorcycle. I don't care what it is. That's every motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care what you mean. I've ridden quite a few bikes and I've owned quite a few bikes in my short career. And uh, I, it's, I think every bike just gives you that kind of ooh glow. Do you mean just the the, the the rush, the feeling? I don't think I've. Right. I don't think I've. Do you know I mean there's bikes? There's been bikes there that I've not. You know I mean I remember the first time I, I rode a I rode the Road King, the, the big massive Road King. It's the first time I've had a bike that size. And while you're on the motorway or on Joe Kai's or whatever, it's fine. But see, the minute you take it in a car park to try and turn it. Fucking hated that bike. Hated that bike because mm. it weight. It, I mean, it was the weight of a fucking Fiat Panda. It was horrific. Do you know what I mean? But again, once you're out moving, it's fine, and you get the wind in your face and whatever. But aye, it's aye. I, the, the, I, the, good, I, the good, the good, the good always outsurpasses the bad. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, the, the niggles will always be there. Yeah, uh, and maybe some people they'll <clears> keep swapping <throat> the bikes, hoping they're going to find the perfect machine. And do you know what? I don't think. You ever going to find anything that's perfect, and it shouldn't be no. because no, then there's no oh, yeah. progression. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- th- there are things even you know, and I'm still got the kind of new bike, Speedmaster. It's it's, on, it's only a few hundred miles on it, and and love it every minute of it. But there, but there are things that annoy you on you know silly things like it really could do with a couple of extra liters of fuel in that tank so that I'm not suffering from <laughs> suffering from range anxiety between the ferry and uh and, and Girvan and, and Scotland you know when I was coming back going am I going to make it am I not going to make it I don't know you know because so, you know so just you're right there's nothing no perfect bike but 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 I would say when I got on when I got on the Speedmaster it gives me a bigger smile than when I got on the Harley but I didn't know that until I got Speedmaster so the Harley gave yeah. me a smile when I got on it, but now I've got a slightly bigger smile getting on the Speedmaster, and I'm sure the next bike I get will give me a slightly bigger smile again, you know, because as you say, you find a bike that's right for you at that right time, and and yeah, you just it's just but it's, it doesn't it doesn't really matter if you're on a bike, then that's 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 the best bike you can be on at that point. So you know. my my bike is the first bike that I haven't. Looked at it within the first year and went, mm, I'm going to cheat on you and buy something else. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Even when that Diavo V4 came out, I went, Oh, that's really nice and sat on it, it's really, really comfy. And then went, But would I really trade in my bike for that bike? Mm, yeah, probably not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I quite like the Diavo. I, I think that, that was, and I think that's what sort of maybe spurned Triumph on to. Saying, you know what, let's do another rocket because it's well overdue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that for me was the one bike I really, really wanted to be involved in. And unfortunately, I was in a wheelchair at the time. But then luckily, um, they got delayed with certain things, parts and, and designs. And, and it sort of the, the project sort of slipped back and slipped back. So when I actually got back to work, we were still working on it. And wow. What an awesome shoot that is. I'm the first man on the planet to get three points and a £60 fine on that point. It probably wasn't difficult, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, the, the thing was, I wasn't actually going, I wasn't going that fast. As in, I got, I think I got clocked at 34, but on the speedo, as I remember, it was it was at 78, 79, whatever. True was, it didn't have any traction control, so I was out on it and you, you, give it some throttle and the back wheel just light up 
and it just keeps spinning. You leave a big black line all the way down the road, and it was ace. I'd just come back mm. to work, first day back at work. Didn't see the speed fan. So when I thought about it, I thought it was a good job I didn't have trash control because I probably would have lost my license and gone to jail. <laughs> God, <I'm> absolutely. <laughs> Right, oh, yeah. that's, that's, on my, that's on my list to ride this year. Um, yeah, definitely go and have is, a go. Is the rocket. Yeah, yeah, me too. I know Cy and the guys at Triumph are like, oh, by the way, you need to, get, you need to try this thing. It's absolutely brilliant. Although, at the minute, they're all raving about that, this, the new 765. They're absolutely loving that thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, that, that, that bike has derived from the bike that changed Triumph forever, really. Um, and, that, and that was, you know, the original six seven five. When that, when they come up with that triple engine, that sort of catapulted them into the next level of motorcycle engineering, really. And, and what they learned from it has really set to where they are today. Um, my wife had their first seven six five, and uh, I remember being on the press launch that one with Gary Johnson and Foggy, and them two were a nightmare. They're Gary Johnson, lovely guy, cracks me up. He's always winding Foggy up. Kept tapping him on the shoulder at 140 mile an hour. He'd come in the pits and go, you're getting slow, old boy, you're getting slow. Foggy, he can't handle it. He threw his helmet across to Gary. <laughs> but that bike, Gary Johnson said, he went, that thing is a weapon. It's just, you know, and that's why he, he raced one at the, the CT. Um, just that engine. Uh, so I'm not surprised that the new incarnation, this gen, is even better because when they went from the 675 to the 765, it was just next level. Mm. Um, absolutely next level. I was actually out on that on my wife's bike the night before my accident, um, having a play on a private road with some friends. And even the people I was out with, like, I can't believe. And they were on Ducati, Panigales, and KTM Super Dukes. And this thing was just just showing them up in, in every sense. Mm. Um, and, and I think the new gens, I'd love to go and get a ride of one now just to see yeah. personally how much they've come on from obviously the last one I rode as a development bike to see where they are now. But yeah, absolutely awesome, those machines. Absolutely beautiful. I know. Rocket and a 765 this year and a Diavel. That, that'll be the three I'd like to test this year. But we'll see. Definitely go and have a go at the Rocket. Definitely go that Aye, that's definitely going to work. Yeah, that's a people testing it and they go up and go, that thing's amazing. And you go, oh, yeah. Man, you get that out. The first, the first, the first thing I, I said to the engineer when I came back, I say, they stand there with the clipboard looking like an expectant father. And he's like, <laughs> what do you reckon? And I'm like, I said, the only criticism I've got is my hands hurt from holding on to the damn thing. <laughs> the talk in it was unreal. But on the positive side, it was the first rocket that ever cornered. I hated the, the first one. Straight line speed, it was amazing. It looked nice, but it was just horrible to ride. You was forever fighting the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, this new rocket, you look at the size of it, and you get it out, and it's like sitting on a 675. You know, it just flicks um, so elegantly for such a big bike. Absolutely beautiful. And a lot went into that bike. That was probably one of the best put-together engineering teams because there's a team for every project um, and at that time I think they pretty much handpicked the best of the best out of every team available to them in, in Triumph to produce that bike um, and you can tell you could just see it in, in the final product really 
and a ten year old kid to design what it looked like. Like what do we what do you want a bike to look like? I want it look like this big it's fine. We'll make it go around yeah. corners, it's great. But then somebody said that a lot of people have said the new Honda Goldwing, apparently that's the same. Apparently like it's really nimble for a big ass bike. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it just shows you my, technology. The, uh, my, my dad my dad got in touch with me and says because my mum died four or five years ago and she's never let him have another bike since he was in his late twenties. And he says, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have another, I'm gonna have a bike, so gonna get he lives in Spain, I'm gonna get himself a motorbike. I says, Do you want to look at the bobber or the speedmaster? I says, that'll suit you down to the ground. He ran me back two weeks later. He said, I bought a bike. I went, what did you get? He said, I bought a Goldwing. He's 74. He loves it. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> and you know what? He came over in September, and I've got to say, absolutely beautiful. And the attention to detail and the quality, it's just pure under. Um, mm-hmm. And he says it's you know it makes him a far better rider than he actually is. At the same time, giving him an experience that he goes out every Thursday with a group of Spanish riders now and expats. They do four hundred, five hundred k a day. Wow, he's seventy four. Oh, he, he, look, he looks fifty two now. So did he ride it for Spain or the way any England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows that man? See, amazing, amazing. Yeah, we, we've actually never ridden together. That was the thing, because um, I kept saying to him for years, get a bike, and he'd go, if I get a bike, your mother will castrate me. There'll be, there's no getting around it. She ain't going to have it. She hated me doing the job I did, but it was like, he says, it ain't happening. And then obviously she's passed, and he's like, I'm having a bike. That's what mm-hmm. I'm doing. So he got, he got himself an the gold with and a 52-year-old <clears> girlfriend, <throat> and he's living the dream. That is living the dream. Well played. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Well played. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. they go as a public service announcement. Get your oil of Yuli shit. Buy yourself a gold wing. Yeah. <laughs> I call him Dorian Gray now. <laughs> <laughs> he looks younger than me. It's just not right. I've got all the grey hairs and he ain't got none. It's like, wow. He's 74 and I'm 51. It's like, uh, it's like, are you his dad? No, no, he's my dad. That's my dad. You know, get it right. <laughs> I'd have been oh, like, yeah, that. He loves it. Absolutely, get that it. thing traded in. My mother wouldn't want you having that bike. Get that, <laughs> fuck. Get that bike going. <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. Brilliant. That ain't happening. I, th- I think he's done twenty-two thousand miles. Twenty-three thousand miles. <laughs> he bought it. He bought it end of twenty twenty-one. Wow. Um, I say he's out, he's out on every week, and he did, as he said, it, it'll be probably his own opportunity to do a tour to the UK at his age. And he, and he wanted to come out and he said, can we go out riding for the day? And we did. I, I, I um, borrowed my wife's tiger at the time and we went up around Wales. And um, for me, it was just so emotional. So I wanted yeah. to do all yeah. all my adult life, really, was just to have that ride with my dad, you know. Um, and we can tick that off the list now. We've done it. I still want to get out to Spain and get him to show me um, some of his roads this year. That would be nice. And the sunshine. In the sunshine, I do mm. miss the press lodges in the sunshine. Aye, sure. and and Spain, Spain do that. You mean Spain spend money on the roads, or at least they used oh, to. Yeah. We still do, but they definitely spend money on the roads. So it's um, at least you know you get some nice tarmac. Yeah, Seville. If you ever get to go to Seville, Seville has probably got the best roads in Spain. No tolls anywhere, um, and they have got some of the. We did this actually did the street cup. Um, we did the Street Cup and the Scrambler Press launch there in Seville. 
And um, yeah, the roads were just phenomenal, especially on that street cut. The we oh. were scraping the, the pegs on, on the roads out there. It's just different ride, totally different ride. Amazing, yeah. Uh, I'd like to see Seville. Seville. I've heard good things about Seville, not just for bikes, but just as a place, you know, just so. Yeah. That's your next tour, Ian. Yep. Nah. What's the somewhere war? Yeah, I <laughs> want exactly. Yeah. Mm. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal one of Ian's questions here. Go for it. What's the worst bike you've ever tested, and why? <sighs> I can't tell you the worst one because I'm still under an NDA for it. <laughs> but, it, but it is bad um, and it's getting released in August 2023 <laughs> yeah. um, the worst the worst bike production or pre-production either I'll let you pick probably the worst production bike I ever did the first one of was the Explorer um, the first incarnation they, they gave us of that was just shocking and again it was the very first stab at and it was purely down to the fuel tank it was ridiculous um and they soon well i said to them i'll, I'll give it four laps and i'll smash it to bits and they did and i didn't see him for six months and then they brought back someone that was actually really good and, and that's i suppose the lessons learned of development you know yeah yeah um that was uh, a favorite phrase of a favourite phrase of an engineer is, but Cad said it would be all right. Well, bring, bring Cad. We'll take it down the. We'll take it down the pathway. So that's probably the worst production bike. The first one, it was scary, and it was it was mm. like I say, it smashed to bits. The Explorer um, was but, the that was the kind of that was the kind of sports touring RT like winter. No, that was at the same time. So in, we started them in two, late two thousand eleven. So. That, the same engine, the 1200, but they did the Explorer, which was to try and beat the BMW uh, GS. Oh, so that's your, that's, that's your, like your Tiger. It was the Explorer to begin with, then it became the Tiger Explorer, and, and uh, that was the trophy. Yeah. And the trophy, I think, is one of those bikes that really it flopped, and it probably didn't deserve to, because it was a really good bike. Um, but it was never going to beat the BMW RT. So there was for a long time. There's been this rivalry between Triumph and BMW because, to be fair, BMW, although it grieves me to say it, they still probably do make the best adventure bike in the market in the 1200 upwards. For me, Triumph make the best mid range, and they still do at the 800 or the 900 now. Because um, of that triple engine, for me, there's there's not another mid-range adventure bike that can can knock that off the shelf same as the street 675 is the best middleweight um sports naked if you like i, I think that's still um but when you look at the bigger capacity bikes they've never really managed to knock um knock those those are the companies off the top pedestal really and, and there's always been that rivalry between triumph and, and bmw as we you know measure smiths I remember my boss sent me out on the um, first walk called BMW when we was doing the Explorer. And I had it for two days and I come back and he went, what do you reckon? I went, I wish I could tell you I hate it. But you know what? We've got a lot of work to do. That thing is good. And I don't think they're ever going to catch them. You know, I think they were close with the, the, the new one. But then BMW just about to release 
you know, whether it's this year or next year, they're a new one. So it's always an ongoing thing, I suppose. And I suppose that yeah, rivalry yeah. is a good thing for those two companies. So it was always Spitfires and Messerschmitts for us. Um, and that's just the way, you know, it was always about trying to buy everything. And, and they all do. So they're your benchmark bikes. You've, you've got to know what the other companies are doing. So you buy their bikes. Mm-hmm. And then you're always setting yours against theirs, trying to beat that benchmark. Otherwise, how do you know how I to set your bar? You know, um, and BMW have always sort of come out on top. And, and I think that was the demise of the trophy, really, was the fact that it was never going to beat the BMW RT. They'd already sort of captured that big bike market. And uh, yeah, yeah, it flopped. And the thing um, is, worse. the thing, the, the thing is, is see that and you I mean I'm going to annoy a lot of GS wankers here, which and they call themselves GS wankers. <laughs> yeah, they, they never nod. As you say, mm. always. The, the GS, <laughs> I know they don't. Fucking nightmare. Um, the GS is, it's, you mean it is a really, really good bike, right? But the Tiger Twelve Hundred. Is so smooth and so, and but it has more character. I think for me, again, it's personal. The GS, I just it does it really, really efficiently. It does it does it really, really well? It's, it glides its own rails, but it it doesn't have any character. That's the thing that I found about the GS that I didn't. Do you know what I mean? And the Tiger yeah. is just it has that bit more character. It does everything else equally as well. I think is a GS, but it just doesn't have the same character. Um, yeah. Yes, the, the, what the tiger does. Do you know what I mean? And again, I, I never bought either. I bought a, I bought a Pan America purely because I got on it, and it's just angry. Do you know what I mean? So it has that yeah. character that's angry. It doesn't do. It's not as smooth as the Triumph. It's, it doesn't do. You know I mean it's not as refined as the GS, but it's just angry. And that's the thing that that kind of that was the only thing that kind of split them apart for me. Was just there was a bit more character in the the. The tiger in the in the pan than there was in the GS. Do I mean, think personality can, can be a big selling point for for a lot of absolutely. models. You know, if the personality doesn't fit you, you're obviously a very angry rider. <laughs> you're always attacking everything, can you? <laughs> just, yeah, I, get, I get on the fight and it just goes like, "Where are we going? Yeah, come on!" Yeah. <laughs> I, I think with with the GS, the reason it is so so good and so refined and across the board, a lot of people get on with it, is that engine configuration. And that's the one thing Triumph can't be. Mm. They, they, can, they, can, they can outdo them on a lot of other things, like throttle response, and they're very good at that. And there's a, there's a very big department within Triumph that deal with throttle response and um, <clears throat> how the throttle works and, and what it's giving you within the, the ECU and the tunes. It's a very big department. A lot of money spent on that. And then you can tell that with trance because of how the throttle is. You know, there's a, a permanent test rider that just does that Monday to Friday who is just working on throttle response. Um, but you're never going to beat that engine configuration. And because it's so low down, it gives a lot of riders that confidence they need on a big adventure bike to actually feel like they're in control of it. Whereas sometimes the, the Explorer can actually make you feel like it's in control of you. So you know, a big, powerful bike. And if you're not, for me, I'm six foot, so the Explorer, I've owned one, and obviously I've done a lot of mileage on I like the Explorer. It suits my style of riding, and I, I quite like that top heaviness of it um, for corner speed and everything else. The BMW, I was forever banging my damn shins on them cylinder heads. I, I <laughs> bruised the bruises. I, 
and they do me head in. But I got that that's why that engine, and that's why they'll never change from that boxer engine. They'll keep developing it, but that configuration will stay with BMW forever because they know that's a winning formula. But then when you come down a stage and you look at like the 800s, BMW never really put a lot of development into their 800 until Triumph knocked them off their pedestal mm. with the 800 Tiger. The 800 Tiger was actually the very first bike I rode for Triumph. The most boring test ever, but it was the very first bike I rode. And it was also the very last project I worked on. So the 900, I did more more miles than any other test ride on that bike, purely because I got to keep it because I was um, I, I did um, 22,000 miles and then my hip failed because they fixed my hip with bolts and they, the bolts went through my hip and started gouging out my socket. And I'd actually gone to see about my leg because my leg needed a couple more screws in it. Um, so they says, yeah, but sorry, hips failed. So that was a waste of seven months in a wheelchair. Then um, They said, we're going to have to give you a new hip. Um, so I took the screws out, got back in the wheelchair for two months, off me tits on morphine. I went to the Purple Planet for quite a while. Amazing that place, <laughs> and um, I got my new hip within four weeks. I was on a rocket um, of having a new hip, and then because the actual rocket wasn't my my bike. Ironically, my wife was doing development at that stage on um, on the rocket. She was doing all the sat nav for it. She looked like a child. I'd wave her off in the morning, and because she's only five foot. Like a child stealing a motorbike. Yeah, imagine that a five foot woman. I've got a picture of her somewhere, all dressed in pink, going to be waved off. And I've got the old kid going to go back to work. And I said, I'm taking your bike tomorrow. She went, What do you mean taking my bike? I said, Well, mine's not ready. And I want to get back in the saddle. And it was my birthday, 19th of November. I said, I got the three points and the 60 pound fine. And then a week later, I got the next um, stage of the 900 Pro. Um, and I had an amazing first lockdown because we were still allowed to ride at that point. We were classed as um, critical workers because um, we were critical to the development of Triumph Motorcycle. So we had a letter. And um, if I got pulled, I just pulled my letter out. There's a lot of stories there to how that was through lockdown and people's perceptions and the way we were treated. Um, but we were there to do a job and it was amazing. I had all the roads to myself, Wales, you name it. There was nothing. Oh, yeah. To the point, I was getting home too early. I was doing more miles because there's nothing all milk. Absolutely amazing. And I finished that, and that was my last project when I finished that one. Uh, and then we ran out of bikes, uh, and um, that was it. DVLA was shut, so we couldn't register anymore. So we uh, we ended up hiring an airfield, and um, on a very wet, rainy day, I low-sided at 100 and, 105 five mile an hour uh, five ribs broke my shoulder punctured my lung ruptured my spleen and that was my last shift for Triumph that was on the speed the new speed and um, I, I was tired I should have gone in um, I hit hard standing water and that was it game over um, so yeah out of all them miles with no accidents no crashes in the space of like a year I had two um, and that was it that was me done I got myself fit um, I bought a kayak when I got myself fit down the canal because you couldn't get no physio. So I just bought an old kayak and went down the canal paddling to get the strength back in my shoulder. Um, got the all clear to go back to work and then got the email. That was it. Game over. We were done. Which is a shame. Yeah. Like, from the goal. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the way Triumph dealt with it, corporate Triumph, I don't, I think, I don't know a lot of people that, you know, guys that have been there 30 years. I mean, one of the guys that was there for 30 years is now one of the head engineers at Norton. Um, and the same with a lot of the other engineers. That, like I say, I, we had a, a Facebook group, Triumph employees, old and new, and people were posting up because nobody, you're not seeing anybody, are you? Pandemic, you're all working from home or. So they started this group to actually see who was going, who weren't. And the names that came up were shocking, absolutely shocking. It was like, you've just emptied your talent pool, totally emptied it. Uh, mm. And that's now you, That's why now you'll see Triumph keep putting recruiting days up because they've got to rebuild that. They've got to rebuild that pool of knowledge and expertise that they had actually moulded and, and formed all this talent and then just freaked them away you know um, as for the brand I'll always love it I'll always love Triumph my soul is in so many of them bikes mm. and the people that I got to work with the talented engineers and technicians and it was like a family really you know it was always classed as the Triumph family um, but I do believe would I go I get asked would I go back if they offered I'm like I think I had the best 10 years that Triumph will ever have because the, the, the way you look at the future of motorcycles now, there's not going to be another decade like that. Like you go back to the Street Cup, when we were doing them, they were, we, all these new models were coming through. They were thrown at us left, right, and centre, different models, different this, different. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You, you're going to start to see companies now reducing what they're actually building down to a very bare minimum because 30, 35, they're done, aren't they? Unless they can find another fuel source. Electric's not going to be the answer. I, I really believe that. And I, I'm quite like an electric bike. I, 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 my mind's been swayed on that. I, I believe I'm not the petrol head I thought I was. I'm actually a two-wheel addict. Mm. I like that two-wheel adrenaline, that what I get from a motorcycle. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a combustion engine. Yes, combustion engine is my favourite, the smell, the sound. But I don't believe electric's going to be our saviour. I think it's going to be probably a, a synthetic fuel to run the combustion engine. Yeah, I, did, uh, I remember driving the live wire. Very first time I drove the live wire was literally, I think, three weeks before we were in the first lockdown. And I remember taking it out and thinking, as a as a piece of engineering, it was such a weapon. Do you know what I mean? But you're right, the infrastructure's not there. Um, and that's the concerning part. And then God only knows what the price of electricity is going to do. So it's not as if it's more cost efficient. Then it's the getting the components, the cobalt and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I don't think it is. I, I think it's going to need to be some sort of alternative fuel. Um, and yeah. who only knows. But, and I think more yeah. of the big companies are starting to put more money aside in their annual budget to look at alternative fuels rather than just constantly plugging away at electric, if you pardon the pun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but again, as, I think as long as as long as long it smells like combustion, it'll be fine. As long as it's got a sound, yeah, yeah. it smells like combustion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Every time Stop. you hit 70, as we puff comes out for the front, we puff a casting GTX straight the front. You're like, oh... As far as I know, Triumph are going down that line from, from the articles I've read. that they, they It's quite ironic. They got the best electric bike for last year. They never yeah. even put it into production. Oh, it's just a pro. It's, 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 
Right. It's, just, it's just a prototype. It's like, well, how can that be the best electric bike? It's just a prototype. It's not being built. Mm. And it's not being built because they know it's not that they know it's not feasible. And they're already looking at running some sort of ethanol fuel through the racing classes. That's right, because they're that seven six five engines, the Moto Yeah. Two and, engine. and that's why I believe that's the way all companies are going to go. Hydrogen, maybe. I still think that's that technology is is way off. But when you look at thirty thirty five isn't that far off in terms of no, development. No, no, two, absolutely. Yeah. Two to three years to develop a bike. That's not a lot of bikes being developed up until thirty thirty five, you know. No. So they've got to come up with something. And electric for me, I just know it's not there. I think not the, for the big companies. I think the hydrogen thing's the storing of the hydrogen because Yeah. You mean the, the, the tanks, not on the bikes or in the cars, but I think the a station, fuel station, they have to be absolutely perfect. If there's any slight imperfection in the tank, it leaks. And it's like, you mean, and then it's the, the refilling of them. And the, the, it's, I don't, I'm not 100% thinking hydrogen's in the way. I do think it's going to be something more ethanol based, which. You mean with the switch to E10 and stuff like that is kind of the way to go, but I do think the answer is going to lie in either Formula One or MotoGP or Moto Two, or so. it's going to it's going to lie in one of those <coughs> areas. You mean the answer because that's where a lot of big money's getting spent. Do you mean try to make them try try to offset their carbon their carbon neutral because they're flying around the world and then back again every other week? Do you mean? But I. Again, it's it'll be interesting to see where it goes. You know I mean? And again, it'll probably be, could you imagine putting could you imagine testing one of those electric bikes on on the Pavi? No. They are. <laughs> they are being done. Um yeah, they are, because I still obviously I've got friends that still do that test for the company I used to work for. Um to be fair, a lot of the work that the, the one I've done for, for companies because now I'm part time. Because nobody, um, nobody tests like Triumph. Royal Enfield have a full stable. I know quite a few of the guys at Royal Enfield, and it's one of those jobs that it's a dead man's shoes job. Nobody's leaving till somebody dies. That's for sure. Nobody retires mm. from that job. You know, I, for me, I, I firmly believe that if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would definitely still have been there to the day I die. I would never have left. It's not a job you'd give up. You know. No. Um, no, why would As you? For, yeah, yeah. You get free bike. It's like I go to the job centre. Can I have a job, please? Oh, and they have to give me a free motorcycle. Just sort of laugh at you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, and the smaller companies just don't. And it's shocking because a lot of them have got Triumph people there, but it's not them that need convincing. It's them that are trying to convince the powers above that they need to put the R and D into their company. And I get that they see it as a lot of money, but a crap bike is going to cost you a lot of money. Yeah. It, you, you, for what you sell them for, your warranty is going to kill you within two years if you've got to keep replacing components that weren't tested. And there is there is companies out there that just don't do the testing. I know because they there's no jobs there. There's no test riders there. Um, Old Norton are a typical example of that. And go back to the worst bike I've ever ridden. I would definitely say it's the Norton, the V4. Um, although it was, personality-wise, it was beautiful. 
when it came down to engineering, safety, and what you got for 45 grand, that bike's a death trap, and it is shocking. I mean, what they've had to do, which is why they're, they're so far behind, what they've had to do to make that bike that you see at the bike show now, which is virtually the same bike, but every component has now been tested as it should, yeah. so it won't fail. That's what Stuart Garner never did. He just, I love that part, bang it on, I love that part, bang it on. Not, nothing fitted properly, nothing. It was the fit and finish was shocking, but it had personality. You know, and it had that British marquee taste to it. Um, and it's like the BMW. You go back to the BMW. I had to benchmark it against the um, the current Panigale and the BMW um, SSRR or whatever it was at the time. This was a twenty one. And when they asked me my thoughts on the BMW, I went, "I don't like it. It's too good." And the, and the engineer says, "How can it be too good?" I went, "It's got no personality. It's so well engineered." It does everything so perfectly, you, you, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's boring. It's boring, and it reminds me of arcing back to the days of um, the the two thousand seven Fireblade, <laughs> and everybody went, "Yeah, but it's boring." But it was so good. It was such a good bike. But maybe it was boring just because it didn't have that personality to capture your soul and your imagination and actually feel like you've got a thousand cc animal roaring underneath you mm. because it's just too refined. And that's what the BMW gave to me as well. Um, the Panigale that was a different that was a different beast. That was that was beautiful. Panigale's uh, uh, amazing. I was sat on a I was sat on a super sport the day. There was one that we were out for lunch at a bike shop and they had one in the reused section and it was this beautiful white thing. And uh, the guy had bought it a year ago and brought it back and traded it in because he was getting too old, he felt. I was like, ah, why would you <laughs> just keep it, just sit it in a corner, just look at it, it's lovely, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing 500 miles a day on that note um, for two, two, two and a half weeks solid every day. Um, I did 500 miles a day and my wife did 200 miles um, in the evening. And I've got to say, my body hated me for it. My, my body was like, I'm divorcing you. There's no way you should mm. put me through this. You know? And that was with my carbon fiber rip. Um, <laughs> but it was just, yeah, worst bike in the world. And I feel sorry for the customers that stuck with them. The yeah, new one, the, the new one, I'd like to ride it. I had the opportunity to go back and say, you know, can I ride to see, see what changes you've made? Because if they've done it well, and with the personality that the bike had in the first place, It'll be a beautiful bike to ride. Um, still 45 grand there. Ah, it's a lot of money for a bike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Give me about six bikes for that and just be as happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, totally. So that, I'd I rather buy one for 10 yeah. spend the 35 on fuel. Hi. <laughs> 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 <clears throat> Absolutely, I think it's um, you know, and I suppose that's kind of like well, that's the, that's where we're kind of going in terms of the future of bike development. Then we kind of covered that really. Now we we're going to ask about what do you think is going to happen with just British bike development? So we've talked about obviously about trying to do the test and the R and D and all this and the Royal Enfield and everything like that. Are you know BSA and all that are popping up now and and you know back at back in the kind of fold again and, and all this kind of stuff and showing the bikes off what do you think the future of British bike development is going to be from from your experience or what you're, or what you're 
chatting about in your forums and all that. If they do it properly and they go down the right road and they listen to the to the <clears> talent <throat> that they're taking on. So basing that on BSA. So mm. I've I've had chats and talks with um people quite high up in BSA and I'd love to be a part of BSA, I really would. Don't think they're at that stage at the moment where I was worried about BSA to start with because they were very slow off the blocks, very quick to advertise the bikes, very quick to take deposits. And it just, it was like, oh my God, this is Norton all over again. Uh, And I don't, you know, BSA is another beautiful brand that's got so much history and heritage for our country. You know, British small arms goes back hundred and what is it, hundred and twenty years, I think. They're they're, they're on the same sort of uh, level as Norton and and Triumph when it comes to branding. Um can they take that brand and do it right? So BSA are pretty much being financed by Mahindra, uh, another really big Indian company. Yeah. And from the conversations I've had, they've definitely got the passion. They've definitely got the want to bring it back to mm-hmm. um, the UK because BSA is, it, there's three brands part of one company. So you, they're, they're uh, I think they're called something legends. So you've got, they own Jawa. So if you remember the old Jawas, um, so they own the brand Jawa, Yetzi, BSA. So um, Yetzi and Jawa are pretty much as far as I know, they're going to be um, Indian based. If you like, that's going to be for the Indian market. BSA is purely to be British made. And when I say British made, that's not where it's assembled. I hope that they do do go the full hog and they actually make it here as well as as develop it. But they want to design, develop and test it here eventually. And they're looking, as far as I know, they're still looking for a place within the Midlands to bring that heritage back to the Midlands because that's, you know, British small arms is where it was from. And I really hope they do because I think for their first stab at it with the Gold Star, I keep trying to get throw my leg over one and I just, I, I've not managed to do it yet. But from from first looks at it and looking at the bike show, I think they're going in the right direction. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could be better, should be better. But that's development, like I say. And I think as long as they do that development, <clears throat> I think BSA will become as formidable as Royal Enfield easily. And they're going to sit somewhere between Royal Enfield and Triumph in price-wise and and quality. So I think you're going to get like that three-tier now where you've got Royal Enfield, really good price, and you get a decent bike for that money. And you've got Triumph, which is like the marquee of British bike building. And then I think BSA at the minute are just floating somewhere in the middle with their price. And the quality, and they've got some good engineers who are ex Triumph as well. Yeah, uh, of Surprise! Yeah. yeah. So the the knowledge is there. It all depends whether the powers above go. Do you know what? We definitely need to do the development. You've got to put the development in. There's other companies. I hope they do. CCM. I love the styling of CCM. Yeah. Would I buy one? Definitely not. It's an FBA tested bike, which is is less stringent than what people like Triumph and everybody else. Pretty much, you could build a bike in your garage, take it to an FBA, and as long as it passes the FBA, you've now got a production. You know, you could make them in your garage. You could only make two hundred and fifty of them. I think it's still two hundred and fifty. 
And then you've got to change it somehow, which is why with CCM you see so many different derivatives of pretty much the same thing, but it's been changed. Yeah, either yeah. Like chassis or something else. But I don't know. They just they, they don't put the testing in. Oh. And I, I'm only assuming, but I'm assuming their warranty is through the roof. And when you look at their price bracket, it's like, wow, you're expensive. And when you look at some of the components they're using, they're not expensive components. They just look expensive. They're very good at making a um, a, a cheap bike look expensive, basically, well, uh, without really putting any of the tests in it. The ironic thing is, is the CCM, for some reason, really holds its money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And they do. Uh, and they've got, a, they've got a really good following as well. You know, there's a lot of people that are avid CCM owners. Uh, ironically, I know a, a really good engineer that's gone to CCM. And I think they are going to be, or they're going to have to look at doing a proper homologated bike because I think their company's at that level now where you're going to run out of ideas to do 250 bikes. You've got to be able to homologate it as Triumph would, Royal Enfield would. Mm-hmm. And it's just by putting the extra test in it. They've got to do that extra development for it to pass them, them extra levels. So your noise levels are different. Your emissions are different. Everything. It's a little bit more stringent when it comes to Euro 6, I think we're on now. Yeah. Also, Euro 6 is what they're, they're working towards. Uh, um, I think then you've got, like, obviously, New Norton. I think they've definitely got the talent, the infrastructure, and the money to start yeah. producing some amazing bikes. But at some point, you've got to say, are you just a marquee bike manufacturer that's going to make bikes for the rich, or are you going to go back to making bikes for the masses? You know, the people that can actually, when you look at the commando, 16 and a half grand, you don't even get traction control or, or, or anything on it. It's just a classic, expensive, to them bespoke and built British bike. And I suppose if they can sell enough bikes to warrant their outgoings, maybe that's the way they'll go. Um, and there's obviously a few others, most of them electric companies now, um, Herald, um, I think Herald would just carry on buying Chinese bikes and, and selling them that way. They obviously tried to develop the Brute. I don't know how they're getting on with that. Yet again, it's an SVA-tested <laughs> bike. So you can only sell, can only sell 250 of them. Um, so I think there's a few out there that could keep waving the flag, the flag for, for, for British manufacturing. Triumph definitely will. Um, the, the structure there. And, yeah. you know, year on, year out, the quality that they're producing, you know, they're up there with BMW and they're up there with all the Japanese firms. Uh, and they've got the following. But they've, they've got that brand down to a T, you know, that he's honed uh, um, for, yeah. for over two decades now since he took it over. They definitely have a very strong brand, a de- a definitely a strong brand community as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed, especially especially over the last few years, you mean it's yeah. Been, no, I've had a triumph. I'm going to buy another triumph. No, I'm not even that you mean, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, triumphs, yeah. Then fall in love with triumph, and you mean will always. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I, when I bought my my street cup, I, I, to me, I was buying a Jaguar. You know, of of the bike model that was a classic British iconic. Yeah. Uh, kind of kind of thing and I thought that's that's the epitome of what you want from a you know and that's the brand they've got you know and I didn't want a Honda I didn't want a you know a Kawasaki I didn't want a BMW again for those reasons that 
I find BMWs are just a bit boring, you know. Engineering wise, they're you know second to none, but you're just kind of going. But it doesn't pop and crackle and you know and just give you any sense of this is just is exciting, you know. Um, even though you know you the. the Tear it, tear your strip, you know, a bit in the capacity. But um, when I, so for something like Triumph, yeah, absolutely. I've just like I, I have just bought the motorcycle from my Jaguar here because of it, because yeah. of because of what it stands for and what it what it what it's about, you know. And you know, because I couldn't afford a Jaguar, so I might as well go for the two wheels, you know. So probably better than a Jaguar. I think um, I think they've learned that and they've taken those lessons from Harley Davidson. Mm-hmm. Harley Davidson. Uh, of they've known for decades how to to pull their customer base into their brand and keep them there. You know, I mean, uh, uh, some of the bikes are probably not as good as a Triumph, but for them, the brand, what that brand represents to them, mm-hmm. can, can can push aside the fact that, yeah, do you know what? Um, that Triumph Thunderbird rides a lot better than the equivalent Harley Davidson, but the brand for them is what pulls them to that motorcycle, yeah. and and I think that's what um, uh, Royal Enfield as well. They're good at that now. They're good at pulling people <clears throat> into that brand. Um, I think Triumph could have done with doing a smaller capacity bike um, years ago, which we nearly did. We, we were virtually there with a two fifty. Um, CC it was a cracking little bike and they canned it right at the last minute um, apparently that was an argument between John Bloor and Nick Bloor and John Bloor won and that was that um, but it was a cracking little bike because I think the smaller capacity bikes the thing we need to do now as a motorcycle industry we've got to pull the youngsters in I go to all these bike shows and these bike meets and it's all old men <laughs> all old men there yeah there's, there is a, a certain you know, amount of younger people, but it needs to be more younger than older. And we need to be passing that knowledge on to the younger ones. And until we we make it where it's more feasible for them to come into the motorbiking world than jump in a car at 17, I don't think we're going to make that happen, unfortunately. Um, maybe we will with the way the climate's going because, my, like I say, my wife teaches CBT and and they're just through the roof week in, week out of people of all ages now. And they're not even interested in doing big bike licence. They just need the CBT, whether it be for a scooter or a 125, because now that's their that's their form of transport, their second form of transport. The wife's got the car or the husband's got the car, and I need a set of wheels to get me that's cheap to and from. And, and I think that sort of demographic of riders coming through Unfortunately, it's not pushing them unless they get really into it and they go, do you know what? I'm going for my big bike license, which does happen, but not as much as it should. Yeah. And until they change the test, the, the testing structure we've got in this country is ridiculous. It just puts people off straight away. Um, I mean, that, that, that was my, my son's biggest criticism was how many hoops and things you've got to jump through and now to do it. And I'm going, well, I jumped on a bike for 40 minutes and you handed about people and that was me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I wasn't until 2004 when I learned to ride my bike, so I was in my 30s when I learned to ride my bike. And and uh, oh, same, I, I was yeah. 30 years old when yeah. I took my bike test. Yeah, I think I'd have been uh, 31, so um, and you, you know, again, yeah, you had to do the, the I was like, what do, do the 
do the theory test, which I had never done before, but it was still yeah. on a bike, straight, you know, go, go, around a, go around a course and then and you're fine. Whereas all this mod one, mod two stuff, the CBT stuff and all these speed gates and things that you're, that, that you're going through and all that, you know, just it's, it does, it puts people, so many people off. And it's, yeah, even, it's even worse when you go in at 17 because they restrict what you can do and then you mm. need to almost reset, you know what I mean, as you yeah. go up and up and up. And it's like, it's just, uh, but I get why they do it, you know what I mean, because they don't want somebody passing their test at 17 and walking and in a higher booster, you know. Buying a higher booster, you know what I mean, and then two days later they're in a tree, do you know what I mean? Um, but I, I, I think the it does need to change a bit because it is quite restrictive. Um, for, for me, the best the best way they could go about it would be everybody has to do like the restricted um, module where you, you're restricted to a certain BHP, no matter yeah. your age. Because it, 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 to me, it doesn't matter what age it is. That's all, you're jumping on a very powerful machine, mm-hmm. you, you know, depending on what <laughs> age you are. So, so do that basic test. And then if you want to be unrestricted, then you have to go and do your advanced. And you can do that in your own time scale, but you have to have completed it within a year. If you haven't completed it a year, then you've got to go back and start again and do your mod one. And, and I think, for one, the, the, the best thing I ever did was my advanced riding um, because it's the system that they, they, they taught. Um, so restrict everybody. They want to be unrestricted. They go and do their advanced. It's a lot cheaper. You know, I paid 140 quid to join the club and I used to chuck him a tenner every weekend in fuel just to take me out for the day till I could do my test. And that way, people will go, do you know what, I've only got to pay for, let's say, say, the first test and then I could get advanced. I could be taught advanced riding and then they'll de-restrict me. And once I've passed that advanced test, I'm de-restricted, I can ride what I want. And that's, for me, that's mm-hmm. the way they should do it. Mm-hmm. Rather than doing two tests that are the same. Yep. There's no difference in the test. It's just one's on a on a smaller capacity or a restricted bike compared to a big bike. The test is the same. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, my son's not. He 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 waited till he was twenty five to do his test, never so that he could go out and buy a bobber, twelve hundred a bobber. So he's walked out from you know, obviously he's, he's got road sense from driving a car and all that for a number of years. But you know. You know, as you say, he walked, he, he passed his test and sat and the next day, sat on a 1200 ball one, took it for a run. <clears throat> you know, and he'd only learned on a, I don't think, with a 650 or something, it was a Kawasaki, whatever, whatever the unrestricted bike was they used. But, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a big change to just to just do straight away, you know. Yeah, but then, yeah. but then so that's what I did, you know, but in my 30s, but yeah. I've got to say, a bobber is a beautiful first bike. Oh, it's a great first pick, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and if it, you can pick a, yeah. a first part, that's got to be up there, and, it? and it's not, you know? um, and it's the gold line edition, so it just looks gorgeous, right? But it's, um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just stunning. And I mean, he bought it a year before he passed his test, and I had to keep keep it running. What a shame! That was a hard, that was yeah, hard for me. Bet, yeah. And um, what's hard for me now is that there's no mine anymore. So, <laughs> so, yeah, you had to get it back. And yeah, hence the speedmaster. So, um, but um, yeah, so but, and I suppose it's, it's it's not the most sporty of bikes or anything like that. He's not jumped onto, you know, like a, a Hayabusa, for instance, you know, and, and done something really crazy like that. You know, he's picked a bike that suits the way he wants to ride the bike, but he does want yeah. to ride a bike like an old man rather than like you know a kind of young kind of wild minded kid. You know what I mean? So. You could switch that bobber into a, into a, it's, it's quite for me that bike's quite an animal. 
I oh, remember oh, yeah. on, the, on, the, on the press launch that one, we were learning the route and um, three fire blades, all different ages, come past us. And um, I was leading at that point <laughs> and I just, I tagged onto the back of them. And before I knew it, I, I was lost. I was waiting at the bottom for the rest of my guys. And these three fire blades come trundling down. They wouldn't even look at me. There was like, there's no way. The only, when I did get back, there was holes in the exhaust. I'd ground all the pegs off. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. They're, they're a formidable machine. They're yeah. absolutely cracking. Yeah, so much talk. Yeah. And it must be nice to ride with your son. That, that must be. But yeah, that's a dream. You like know. you know, you were saying you're riding with your dad, and I think. And so last, the other weekend we went to Ireland. So my my brother lives in Ireland. So we went to go and see him. So it was like first time. He'd only passed his test a few weeks. We booked the booked the ferry. So down down from where we are, down to Stranraer, on the ferry through Storm Noah. Um, you know, and and we'd, we'd ridden for about an hour, stopped, pulled the bike in a, a garage, and gone, um, John was just like white as a sheet, and he just went, "What the fuck just happened there, Dad?" You know what I mean? Because it was like I just don't, you know, could, I, I need this, I need that coffee. I mean, look, my my advice is power on through. We're already soaking wet. Power on through. Get to my brother's. It was only another forty five minutes away. Just we'll just go for it. So he took about five minutes, then meant for it. But then when he got when he got to Mars, he just went, "That was insane." But amazing, <laughs> do you know? Enough yeah. That's you. You're uh, hooked. You're hooked. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're, the, they're the memories to make for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so, he's a lesson. He needs better kit, obviously, if he's soaked. That's well, the other thing. To be fair, he, 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 he John, John's, um, John's, John's, my son's an actor, so he's, he's doing quite well. He's in, he's, in the, he's in the Outlander TV series at the moment. So he walked into Dionysia and bought all the best of kit in London. Yeah, and I've just flung together whatever I can find in my wardrobe. So, so, so yeah, he was soaked in the outside, but he took off all his dinies again. These dries are born underneath, and I'm just going. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just a way to change every single layer of clothing I have on, and I mean every single layer, you know. So, um, you know, and uh, so he was, so he, he's learned that yeah, good kit is is worth the money, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So, what would be your guys' dream bike if you could put any bike in the garage? What would it be? I've got it now. I've got You've it. You've got your thoughts. <laughs> I've got mine at the at the moment. Yeah, I think I think um, I've always I've always loved a Hayabusa, um, just because of the insanity. The, the the first ones that come out, you know, the two hundred mil plus one before they started adding electronics and all the restrictions and stuff on it. Um, but I've always said the first bike I was ever on, and I was only on as a p- p- a pillion passenger, and it was, but it's what made me realise I want to be on on these machines. It was a Honda VFR. Uh, a Probably about two thousand and two thousand one or something in the back of a Honda VFR, and I was just like, "This is just, this is just." So I've got a real soft spot for one of them. So about a two thousand one Honda VFR in red would be, yeah, would probably be for me just because it's it it it's the bike that made me realise how much I want to be on a bike. So. And we've had that we've had this we've had this discussion before because I think this is why yeah. we're both going because I'm the same. The VFR. I actually tried to talk my wife past it. My wife for years said, "You're not getting a bike. You're not getting a bike. You're not getting a bike." Even though her dad and her uncle and all that were bikers, you're not getting a bike. And then literally the day I passed my CBT, went and bought a one two five. She followed me home. She obviously took me down to get it and then followed me home. And then the minute we got to drive, she went, "That looks like fun. I'm going to go and do mine." And I was like, 
Really? What the f- <laughs> The minute she passed her big bike test, it was like we we, we went into the local Honda and they had a red VFR eight hundred. And I was like, ah, that's lovely. That that's 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 the bike for you, love. That's really do you know what I mean? And then she sat on it and she couldn't quite get her feet flat and she was like, No, I don't really know about this. I'm like, No, just buy it. Just buy it, please. I'll go on the insurance, it's fine, I'll even wash it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that is on the to this day it's their most over-engineered bike they ever designed and built was the VFR they put so much into that for, for, and so many groundbreaking technologies yeah. that have now obviously gone into a lot of other manufacturers and other bikes you know from chain run cams and and, and everything they did to it um, you know I could um yeah, it's their most over-engineered bike, and I think that's why it's probably stood the test of time. I mean, you look at um, uh, Richie Vedas, I mean, 80 plus thousand miles that thing's done now, and that looks better condition than, than than a bike. Some of the bikes out there that are a year old, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like that's how that's how much quality they took the gamble put into that bike to sort of launch their brand um, into the sports tourer market. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, I think a lot of people would pick that bike and put it in the garage. Yeah. I think it's a, I, I mean, it's a shame they've stopped making it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but then again, it's, I think we're in a different time where mid-sized sports tourers are not what people are looking for because a lot of people, if they want a mid-sized bike, they can go and tour on. They're buying 850 Sports, Tiger 900s, the 850GS, yeah. whatever it may be, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, there's no really... That, that, that's, that's the adventure bike market, isn't it? That's, that, mm. that market in itself killed. Uh, same with Triumph. The Triumph Sprint was a, was a, a cracking bike, but as soon as they, they launched their Tigers, it, it killed that market. From, you know, people didn't want... You could still buy a brand new Tiger 1050 Sprint if you want one now because they're still in the crates. You can have it registered as a 2023. They're still in the crates in the warehouses. It's I think not. you can only have. I think you can only have red or blue. Um, but yeah, well, as far as I know, you can. Up to you go to your dealers and they will get you one. They will source it um, and register it. But nobody wants them. You know, it's such a shame because it was a cracking bike. But that's what the venture bike market did. And it's not about being off-road gurus. It's just about the comfort and, and the accessibility it gives you to everything from carrying luggage to um, yeah. just and doing miles, you know. Um, that's right. why I like the Tiger 800. I think that's why we'll always have one in the garage purely mm. for that, you know. I, like the, I do like the 900. The 900, I think, is a really cracking bike. You know what I mean? Yeah. I did like the Bond one. They bought out the James Bond one, actually. I really like Have you seen the price for them? Have you seen the price of them? Twenty-eight yeah. grand. You can buy Aye. one of them for at the minute. <laughs> I think it's number. Uh, it's either number eight or number nine, but it's up for twenty-eight. Yeah, I saw it on Auto Trade the other day. Um, it's up for it's up for twenty-nine grand. You said that when they when they did the Steve McQueen. On they did the Steve McQueen one, and we were the same. We the both of us went like that. We need to buy one of them because I guarantee you, a couple of years time that bike will be worth double what it's worth just now. Yeah, unfortunately, that film. Bit triumph, um, a bit and quite hard, but purely because of the pandemic. Because obviously that film got, did you get it, kid? Purely because um, there's, a, there's a little fly or something he's after. Um, they based the Scrambler 1200 
was was they that film was thrown at that bike, um, and that's why that bike's in you know that that classic bike jump. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the bike ended up being released before the film. That's right, because and, of and the bike suffered for it because that's another really good bike, absolutely beautiful bike to ride. But for me, the film sort of hindered it because that's what its promotional basis was on was it being in that film yeah uh, and then obviously yeah. it was nearly two nearly two years before that that film came out and the sales of those bikes just didn't take off um i think the other one there that i was talking to some the other day the other one they're, they're struggling with is the new speed with the nose cone on it the one that's trying to be a cafe <laughs> racer the rs yeah, yeah, speed yeah. RS. i think that that's flopped i think that'll go I think they'll either yeah. completely re-engineer that bike or it'll just go. Yeah. Even the dealers now, they're, they're putting them back to speed triples. Um, and you're basically then getting a speed triple with fancy electronic suspension on it because it's the standard speed triple doesn't have that. Um, and they're marketing them like that just to get rid of them. They can't sell them. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful-looking bike. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I never really got it. I just it's, it's neither here nor there, really. It's trying to be um, two things. It's trying to be too many things, isn't it? Really, it's trying to you know. Yeah. Um, if you want, if you want a really, it, if you want a cafe racer, just buy a Thruxton. You know, that's, yeah. You know, and I don't know whether that was to try and take on the R ninety because mm. BMW were doing quite well with their R ninety mm-hmm. because it had that sort of classic look in a, in a, a modern sort of guys, if you like, but. The speed triples in its own category, really. You know? Yeah. Um, especially the new ones. They're, they're quite formidable. But I think that's the other thing now, with the way everything is, people are starting to come down. Again, I don't need a 1200cc bike. That's 765. will go just as quick, use less petrol, and yeah. looks just as good. And I think that is going to be a big part of the way people are buying motorcycles now, is on can I afford to run it? Um, uh, and that'll go for the adventure bike market as well. And I think that's where KTM have sort of clocked onto that now, and they're pushing their mid-range um, adventure bikes and sports bikes uh, a lot more, even right down to their 300s, you know, and they're sort of capturing that side of the market now where small CC seems to be ruling at the minute, yeah. purely because they don't taste much fuel. So I've got a monkey bike. <laughs> <laughs> There's 800 million in the tank. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Until with KTM is it's all in the name, isn't it? They keep taking money. That's the only thing. Ah, oh well, uh, don't don't get don't get used. <laughs> but do you know what? They same thing. They they are in D centre in Austria. They're in Austria now. Um, absolutely amazing. And, and now they've they've the quality of their bikes now. I think they need to get the dealer network um, to, to sort of fall into the same sort of quality. Um, but their bikes now, I mean, they've got to be the fastest on the road in every category, I would think. Yeah. Um, I did. The dealer network, I know up here, the dealer network's horrific. I mean, there's mm-hmm. not that many KTM dealerships in Scotland in general. Do you know what I mean? Um, it is quite, do you know I mean, the most, I think the, the best, most reliable one, I think, for us is Perth, which again is a good year and a half drive away. Do you know what I mean? Um, which isn't far, but you know I mean you would every every other manufacturer is like a stone's throw away. 
Do you know I mean? Um, whether it be Enfield, Triumph, Harley, Yamaha, whoever, do you know I mean, you're literally half an hour in any direction of Glasgow and they're there. But KTM's one of those ones that's that bit further away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's finding a good one. <laughs> yeah, you guys struggle to be 200 miles, but it'll still be crap. Um, so, yeah, I think once they get that in line, I think they'll, you know, yet again, they'll you'll see a lot more orange out there for sure. Um, because from what everybody's saying that's riding them, um, it definitely tickles their fancy, you know, they're getting a lot of bike. It's just, and the reliability is getting better. Uh, I know when we were benchmarking them, we were breaking them every every other week. It was, they were parked up more than they were being tested, to be fair. But then I can also remember uh, being in Spain, doing high speed tests on the Explorer and the KTM lads um, on their super adventure. Um, were coming past me. I was flat out 136, and they were coming past me doing dur- um, durability tests on their pannier systems. And um, they were coming past me like I was standing still. And they were lapping me probably every three laps. They were coming past me, so they got me sat about 160, 165, I bet. Um, so yeah, they just need to get the quality um, and their dealer network in line. I think. Mm. Yeah, and then you, yeah, like a bit, you like a bit of orange on you. I do like that. That's, that's, the <laughs> I, that's the reason I bought that bike. I bought that bike because I thought, oh, I'm, not, I'm not trading up just now. I had a BMW R9 uh, 1250RT, and it was like, no, I'm next bike I'm going to go adventure bike. This is just a bit too big. I'll keep it until that point. And then the local Harley dealership, the, the sales guy I know quite well, he was like, ah, what about the Pan America? And I went, ah, it's quite nice. I've ridden that a couple of times. I said, it's, it's quite nice. Maybe that'll be my bike. I said, but it need to be in that orange colour because I quite like that. And he went, oh, they're stopping doing that. I was like, well, you better fucking find me one then. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the next colour they're bringing in place of it? Oh, it's this baby blue colour. I'm like, ah, no, fuck that. <laughs> I don't know, thanks. No, thank you. Black? No, not the black one. It's this bike I actually haven't ridden and I'd like to. I'd like to throw my leg over just to see how how Harley Davidson had done because I always remember throwing my leg over a Buell and thinking this thing when the Buell XR9 and the X12 came out in 2000 and God, it got to be 2008 2009 um, and my brother-in-law bought one and um, it was just absolutely beautiful to look at he always used to amaze me he'd put it on tick over and you turn around turn back and it was five, five foot down the drive and it was still standing up but it would sort of just judder along on its side stand. <laughs> <laughs> I always think I wonder how much test it went into that side stand where they got it where it actually did that without falling over. Always be a fluke. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, again, I've never had a Buell, but I've always fancied them because, as you say, I thought they looked just angry and incredibly just something a bit different you know but um i think it's one of those things you know you're just like uh, i'm glad i didn't ride it now because i would probably kill myself back then you know what I mean? yeah, yeah you know just to do it there's a it few was. bikes yeah that i just think I, I would love to try but i just don't trust myself on them you know i, th- I think we all no matter your capability yeah. Um, or your experience. I think there's there's definitely bikes out there that can be intimidating enough to make mm. you feel that way for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Right, we've got a final question, I think, because I think I've been chatting now for about three weeks, so, um, <laughs> uh, so which, which is not a bad 
think it's been fantastic. But I think we'll if we if we, we can do our final question and it's and it's what is the future looking like for your channel? Have you got any big goals or adventures or segments of twenty twenty three or anything that you want to drop a wee exclusive on for us that we can you can we can look forward to? Oh, obviously, I'm, I'm actually contemplating at the moment doing um, a series on how to be a better rider. Oh. Um, tapping back to the, the best thing I ever did was my advanced. It was, but only because of a certain individual at the time was, um, he was chief training officer for a police force and he was part of our club. So I did my advanced, I did my advanced test, but then I've all of a sudden, I felt like I was stuck in the middle of the pipe and slipper brigade because they've given me this, this, this beautiful system of riding, but they don't actually want me to use it out of the boundaries of speed limits and everything else. But then this guy started doing skill days, and I always remember it, the first day, he'd take three of you out. They'd do one every couple of months, and he basically took the system to the next level there because it's advanced. And the first day he followed me, pulled me over, and he went, I thought you could fucking ride. And I'm like, uh, uh, he went, look, 30s, 30s, 40s, 40s, 50s, 50s, nationals, I want to see you using the system. And that was it. From then I flourished. And I was lucky enough because of the job I, I, I was doing, I, was be, I could put that into practice every day. Mm. Uh, and for me, then I realised that how good that system is. And it's the system they teach the police, you know, whether you do IMA, ROSPA, um, so I think I'm, I'm contemplating at the moment doing a series of how to be a better writer uh, and just trying to break down that system to people so it's interesting in a format that makes them want to actually incorporate it into their riding. So put it out on a Friday, yeah. go and try it on a go and try it on a Saturday and a Sunday, you know. And if and if people have got any problems because everybody's got something that niggles them with their riding, so. My question would be to you, when you look at your riding, what's the one thing you struggle with? Is it corners? Is it overtaking? Is it islands? Is there a certain thing that you see within your riding capabilities that you struggle with on a daily basis? I know from, because, yeah, from first-hand experience, when I came off the Harley, I spent hours trying to find videos on just taking a corner better because because and I'm and I'd never had any problems with that at all. So it, don't, it doesn't matter where you are in your riding. If something happens or something, you know, you know, your, your bike kicks out or whatever it, it happens, you know, you, you want that clarification and it's and it's all Americans shouting at you, you know, and 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 trying to teach you to be, you know, speed freaks and all this kind of stuff. And that's not what I wanted to know. I wanted to, I wanted to know. Well, first of all, I wanted to know did I do anything wrong or was I just super unlucky because it was a adverse camber roundabout on a wet day with brand new tyres and a hit a patch of diesel so you know when you put all that together yeah I was just super un, super unlucky but I want yeah. but you would need that clarification in terms of what you're doing in specific corners and coming out of roundabouts and things like that you know and I searched and searched and searched for a good sensible you know level headed kind of tutorial of that yeah you know, and the trouble was, I watched a few, and, and I kind of went, no, I, I was, I wasn't, wasn't really, I didn't really do anything particularly bad, I don't think, but I, I didn't want, I didn't want to look at any of the other videos. I didn't want to go, well, I've just learned something really valuable here. Let's let's find out about, you know, overtaking. Let's find out about, you know, 
you know, whatever the skill is next, because uh, I've always, you, you know, you can always learn, don't you? You know, you know, you know, you you can always be better than you are. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. every, every day's a, a school day. Yeah. you never stop learning. You no, never stop learning. No matter where you are. Great show. I I watch every single one of them. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, I think the, the thing that I'm looking, spent time looking at at the minute is it was a video on Conlon. Because obviously, you mean you've talked to obviously lean with a bike, counter steer in the corner, etc. And I remember watching a video, it might have been Ryan at 49, and he was like, You're cornering wrong, corner, and actually use your your weight that way. So almost like, uh, yeah, kind of balancing the bike when you're cornering because that's then pushing the tire down. You're having that, you're generating friction by. Do you know what I mean? It was like, this is confusing now. It's like, you need, there does need to be something out there because there's loads of videos on loads of other stuff, but there isn't anything, as you say, on advanced techniques. And I know there's obviously guys, that there's more advanced training schools kind of popping up out with IEM and Rossbit at the minute, but there's no one really doing anything kind of in-depth to break those things down. And as you say, and I, I, I am, I've did, I did the IEM, advanced riding, I did the test of that. And it's those little nuggets, even just the, the basics of those, of that system, which is pretty much, as you say, based off the road craft, just makes you a far more aware rider. Do you know what I mean? Because I think, it's, uh, you know, your wife will probably, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but when you're taught to ride, you're taught to command position. There's three positions on the road, and you only really worry yeah. about position one and position two when you're yeah, turning yeah. to a junction, and you're turning that way where you need to position yourself. But when you're on the road the rest of the time, you should be in position three, because that's where a driver would sit, and that's the best place for a driver to see, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> on a back road... You don't want to be in position three if you're coming up to a right-hand bend. You want to be in position one because that way you can see right around the corner. Do you know what I mean? And it's those little things, again, back to the test. Those are the things that we should be teaching riders and getting them tested on. No, yeah, you, stay up, definitely. you stay in position three for the next yeah. 40 minutes. That's just silly. Uh, when I have people say to me, what's the best position I should be in? The simple answer is the best position is the best position to gain the most position. That's the best position. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and yes, there are three positions: left to center, uh, left yeah, left to center, center, right of center. What position should I be in? The best in, the best position is the one you're getting the most information for. Mm -hmm. So the, so so the more you can see, the more that you can you can take in, the more information, the better your riding plan will be. And that's the best position. And I always found when I was, because I, I obviously taught um, advanced for, I, I trained to be an observer. And I found with all the scenarios that were through at me through that training process, everybody's problem came down to position. And, and it didn't matter whether it was overtaking, roundabouts, corners, left or right. The problem everybody had was they were in the wrong position. So when you say to them, you're in the wrong position, so what's the right position? Well, the right position is the one that's going to give you the most information. And the more information you can gather, the, the quicker you can gather it, the better your riding plan will be. And I always say to people, once you start to practice that system, just knock five mile an hour off, even 10 mile an hour off, off your normal road that you would normally do, and think about the position you're in to gain the most information. And you'll find before you know it, 
that five mile an hour you've dropped, you've now gained 10 mile an hour without actually realizing it because mm-hmm. you're in the right position to get the right information to make it a better ride. Yeah. And you get all the pieces of the jigsaw. That I always say, if you've got all the pieces of the jigsaw, it will flow. You will just flow. Mm-hmm. Um, a typical example, a friend of mine, he did his bike test and he, he didn't believe in any of this advanced nonsense. No, no, I'm going, it's all about muscle memory. You've got to, you've got to build that muscle memory up to train your brain to use the system. And he wouldn't have none of it. So I says, I got my daughter on the back. I was on a Tiger 800. I says, look, it's 10 miles down this till we get to, to where we'd stop. He says, I'm going to sit on this road at 80 mile an hour, or 80p. Sit on this road at 80p. I'm not going to go over it and put my cruise control on. Your only job is to overtake me. Just get past me. And he just couldn't keep up. And we got to the end. He went, I'm going to do my advanced. He says, I've never, he was sweating. And I says, he says, I'm sure you went over what the speed we set. I said, I haven't. I says, it just flows because the system enables you to make that riding plan where nothing jumps out at you. Nothing's, he was on the brakes, he was off the brakes, he was on the brakes, he was off the brakes. And it's not enjoyable. So, yeah, I think for the channel, I'd probably like to implement another source of viewers maybe um, on a Friday video. As for the rest of the channel, really, it's just a crazy old man and his dog. (laughs) 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 We're just having fun on mobiles, whether it's me just yabbing away, you know, we're out for a bimble. Um, The only kit I review is kit I use Um, because for me, I, I can give an honest opinion so I've, I've done a few reviews there's one piece of kit i feel really strongly about and that's the helite air vest and if it wasn't for that product i wouldn't be saying and i wear one even on my monkey bike i wear my air vest day in day out so i hooked teapot up with an air vest and i don't know if you saw his last video where he went to road skin did have his air vest on so i messaged him and says how naked did you feel he says he just could not could not get it out of his head that this might be the day that he needed that air vest because he didn't have it on. And it's like wearing your seatbelt. You know, it just becomes part of your personal protection. Unfortunately, I think maybe price and the fact that it's not cool for a lot of people. Like Ivis yeah. wasn't, but now, now everybody's wearing Ivis, you know, even the coolest of cool. Um, so I think that's a technology. Yeah, I think that's a technology that you're going to see more and more of within the motorcycle community. I can remember when I started wearing one in 2016, just because I felt the odds were really against me out of the road. I was, you know, doing over 100,000 miles a year. And I just thought, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Um, so I got in touch with Helite. They gave myself and my wife a vest. I wore it for two years. And without fail, it just became part of my kit, just like putting your helmet on, you know. Um, and, and I had the tethered one and the same thing it's just like putting your seatbelt on you can't click every every trip and in 2018 it did save my life it, I got thrown into that car at 51.4 miles an hour the only reason I know the impact speed is because I'm probably a little bit faster because I beat the bike there because I left the bike and the bike had a logger on it being a, being a prototype and it went from 51.4 mile an hour to a dead stop uh, as I did. And I left an imprint in the back of this estate car. Looked like um, some out of Roadrunner. It's the side of the bridge and leaves that cartoon impact. And yeah, I snapped my left leg off. 
that was facing the wrong way and I flipped that back and, and I broke my right hip. I, I broke my right hip when I landed on the grass verge I was trying to aim for as I was flying through the air. Um, but do you know what? Without that air vest, I wouldn't be in there. And it was just the fact that I made a point of wearing it, adding it to my kit. Uh, and I would say to anybody, you know, it says, is there a piece of motorcycle kit that you would, you would, you know, try to promote? And that would be, it'd be the Helot Air or a Air Vest, any airbag product. But for me, Helot's the better one out of mm. everything from the research I did originally. They've got the biggest airbags. And um, I still hold obviously, the, the record for the highest speed impact because I had the information to, to, to <laughs> back it up yeah. from, from Triumph, you know. Um, when they were putting me in the MRI machine at the hospital, they kept putting me in. I think on the fourth one, I says, is there something wrong? And he went, the fact that you're talking to me, there's something wrong. He says, they reckon you hit the car at 50 miles an hour. I says, I did. About that. I know it was fast. He says, well, how are you talking to me? He says, you've only got one crap rib. I says, I was wearing an air vest. And he was like, well, what's one of them? I says, that's the thing that saved my life. Um, mm. My wife, my wife now, it's saved her life twice now. Um, in, in her riding career, she got um, not her last year for triumph. A, a woman drove through her at an island, sent her ten foot in the air, and she came down, landed on her head. But because the air vest had pretty much gone off and and clamped her helmet, she she hurt her ankle. And yeah, she was a bit stiff, but she's not paralysed. She's not eating food through a straw, and she's still riding. And it's just because she wore that air vest, you know. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's the best piece of motorcycle kit out there. And I'll, I'll always promote yeah. that. Um, I'm supposed to get a new piece coming soon. Um, they've just made a rucksack, an airbag rucksack, which I think is absolutely amazing because I think it'll take a lot of the stigma away for the younger people that go, I'm not wearing an air vest, you know, that's a bit. I bet you wear a life preserver in the bath. You do, don't you? That's what the bloke said to me mm. once. <laughs> so, right. Well, you it's, know, it's, you can't really go. I but I had a car at fifty-one miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, wrote, I wrote a car off with my back. You know, and I'm, yeah. like I say, I, I'm still here. And the only reason I broke a rib was I put a pen in my inside pocket, and it was the pen mm. that when the when the air vest went off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, they do they do pants now. Um, you're supposed to send them to test and because I, I did say they don't blow your balls off do they because that sounds a bit dangerous but if I'd have had them on um, and they basically just sit they're like a pair of bo big boxers and if I'd have had them on I wouldn't have broke me in um, so after my accident they um, because I broke me it, they looked at um, they made an airbag for OAPs it's a belt because they realised that um, a lot of OAPs were falling over in care rooms and these hip operations were going through the roof so if anybody unsteady on their feet they have a belt now and if they fall over the airbag goes off and they don't break the hip so a lot, a lot of the uh, care rooms have it now and the guy mm -hmm. that invented them absolutely amazing a guy called Gerard and he invented it because uh, he was into micro micro flying you know the micro, micro gliders yeah 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 the yeah. Yeah. trouble was he was shit at it and kept crashing and he was in <laughs> 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 he, he was in, he was in the airbag industry for cars, seats, and stuff. So he was like, "How can I actually enjoy what I'm doing, even though I crash a lot, without getting hurt?" So he made himself his first air vest, and that's how it all started for his company. <laughs> French bloke. Um, the air vest I had my accident in, I sent back. Pete sent it back um, 
to France and they tested it like they would a new air jacket and my mate wears it. It's still, it's not a one-off thing. No, you know, like... it, it saved my life. I put a new air bottle in it. It was tested and my mate wears it now because obviously I'm on an electronic one now, um, which for me is another stage of technology. But yeah, anybody's interested in Helite air products and you've probably seen him at the bike show smacking people with a baseball bat. Um, yeah. But yeah, I go and talk to Pete. He's he's such a knowledgeable guy, and he's um, head of UK sales for Helite products. Well, um, well, for but, but, yeah, and just tell him to drop my name, and he'll start twitching. But he'll probably give you a discount because <laughs> I've crashed them all now. Yeah, he says, I do want you to test it, but try not to crash it, will you? <laughs> so I sided in the electronic one. I sided last February and um, it sent me 20 foot in the air, but I tell you what, it went off quick. Um, oh, see, it's, it's um, 0.8 milliseconds it takes <laughs> to go off. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it's quick. I mean, the lanyard one's quick, but the electronic one's even quicker. Uh, and every track's going to start having to have them now. All the racers have got to have them. It's being made implemented as law because of the the beneficial, um, you know, aftermath of an accident. You basically your rider stands up, walks away. Which hopefully you mean gets rid of that or helps get rid of that stigma thing because a lot of a lot of younger riders who want to go to the track and race their, you mean whatever it may be, whether it's the six fifties or the, the thousands or fireblades or whatever, are going yeah. to have them then it may just be that they go, do you know what, I'm just going to wear it anyway. Because they might have that one off that just happens on the track, it blows up, they get up and, I mean, the bike's a bit damaged, but they're all right. Yeah. You become, they, they then just instinctively go, I'm putting my vest on. Yeah, they, they do a, a proper track vest now where it's got a hole in the back for your hump to go through because with my, my air vest, you can't <laughs> wear the hump's levers. So they, they made one purely for the track, and that's called the GP Pro. Uh, but same thing, you, you could have, I don't know, three ice sides in a weekend and I guarantee you walk away from a mall. You're not going to break your back. You know, you, you'll feel a bit bruised and battered and all you've got to do is just put a new air bottle in. I think they're 20 quid uh, for a new air bottle, 30 quid for the electronic one because it's got an electronic trigger on You can set it yourself. You don't even have to send it back to the factory. Um, so I think when people look at the cost, mm -hmm. they think, oh, that's like 500 quid for an air vest. But I pay that for an helmet, a decent helmet. I've paid 500 quid for and I bet many people have. And you know what? I've also wrote that helmet off. <laughs> and I can't wear it again. But my air vest, I just keep putting it back on. And as you say, you, you have a, you have an off and a helmet. I know you can you can send them away now and get them inspected and stuff like that, but chances are if you come off at a reasonable speed, that helmet's gubbed. Do you know what I mean? Um, whereas yeah. you say the air vest, poof, it opens up, new air bottle in, there you go. Do you know what I mean? So you're actually going to get your no money back on it, but you it's going to have its have its benefits much longer than what a helmet will. Uh, maybe if the government as well start to actually legislate, and I'm not one, I don't like to tell anybody what they, they got. As far as I'm concerned, you can wear a crash helmet like Captain Bugwash and, and ride around, start bollock naked. It, it's That's your choice. That's the beautiful thing about motorcycles. For me, it's the freedom of choice. It's your choice. It's, nobody should be telling you what you can do and what you can't do. That's that's sort of the bad boy part of the motorcycle. And I think we all, all sort of, get magnetized to you know it's the fact that it is freedom of choice i can ride what i want i can wear what i want as long as you've got a crash helmet on uh, but it's quite strange that that's the only law 
you know, is the fact that you only have to wear a crash up. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no other CE approved kit. Um, I don't know. Maybe for the youngsters that are, that are on a restriction, maybe they need to wear a proper kit because, oh, I thought it was a video the other day, he got no bum cheek left. You know, he's out of a pair of shorts. It's like, oh, I'd rather have a bum cheek. Yeah, absolutely. Dress for the slide, not the ride. That's the thing, isn't it? You know? Um, Lee, I'm conscious of obviously that's nearly three years we've been chatting away, and I can hear buddies. Yeah, record. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Smashed, smashed Bruce's record easily. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, I think I hang on a minute. Right, he's whining to get out. Fair wee boy. Yeah, wait. My two will be in there going nuts, waiting for a walk. I guarantee. Uh, my, my two as well. I'm going to be taking him out for a walk tonight. I'm not going to eat So, um. Lee, thanks for coming on, mate. That, it's been an absolute privilege, and it's been, yes. a, I mean, that, I kind of believe it's been that. an education. It's been amazing. I believe it's been yeah. years. We've been sat there chatting. It's felt like 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Um, again, really, really appreciate you coming on the show, mate. And um, no, Thanks for the invite. It's been a pleasure. It's always good to yab about motorbikes to like-minded motorbike fanatics. Obviously, we'll put links up for your channel. Uh, and your socials, and hopefully some of our listeners, if they aren't already, which would be a crime, but if they aren't already, they should be subscribing and watching your stuff. Um, and again, we'll make sure that they subscribe, smash the bell, all that jazz. But Lee, again, thanks very much, mate, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks to Buddy when he comes back in for a pee. Give him a thanks from us for coming on. I think he's our first, he's our first non like human. Uh, well, not between us. <laughs> even though I've never been in the show. Uh, he thinks he's more human than the rest of us. Uh, That's the trouble. Nails don't go in the bike, so he's technically the first average biker dog in a cave, which is quite cool. I, re- I reckon he's the fastest chihuahua in the world, but I can't prove yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, no, yeah I, we'll, find, we'll find a way of proving that, let's be honest. Again, the way you keep breaking records, we. Um, First, first speeding fine on a rocket, and then yeah. uh, pass this man through the back of an estate car, and yeah. I'm pretty sure it'll be long before them buddies get some sort of Guinness record entry. Yeah, I mean, fastest two yeah. so, <laughs> The fastest chihuahua in two wheels, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mate. Thank Amazing. you very, very yes, much. Thank you so much. At some point, hopefully, no, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Um, whether it be at a, a festival or a something and we'll run in we'll get a catch up but um thanks very much mate much appreciated and a thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable saturday night thank you very much you have a good one Trevor. Let's have a good ride tomorrow be safe so there you go now obviously it's a bit of a patchwork quilt because obviously we've recorded in two sessions because yeah we, we didn't plan to have a big massive you know I mean epically long chat with Lee and Buddy? Yeah, we did. You know we mean? did sit and go. We we'll get twelve questions. It'll be about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, and then like two and a bit hours, but nearly three hours later, we were still gabbing. But it went dead quick. It was like woof, gone. I couldn't believe it. And it yeah, was like, oh my god, god, look at the time. What a nice, what a, a nice guy. Great stories. Amazing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, some stonking you know. stories. Yeah. And obviously, we'll have links and all that kind of stuff, and um, not just links to. Um, his socials and all that stuff, but we'll link obviously to the Helite um, Air Vest stuff. Air Vest stuff, yeah. Because right, stuff, it's a really yeah. good website, actually. Um, you should get on and check it out. And there is a number of different kind of variants of it. 
So we'll, we'll obviously tag, put that information in there as well so you can see it. But yeah, I, again, I, I just it's one of those ones. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I know he'd done an interview with Teapot before. I think he was on just before we were on the first time on Brutal. Yes, he was. It was the week before. It was yeah. the one before us. And, yeah. um, it was a really good chat. Um, and I wasn't quite sure what, what to expect, but actually it was just it was such a... Such a good, such a good blether. Do you know what I mean? Really, properly nice, properly nice guy. So, yeah, if you listen, mate, absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on again. Um, I know we did thank you at the time, but I'm going to extend that again to say, yeah, definitely, it was an absolute joy, mate. So, and I know he does. Some of these guys in person soon, hopefully, at some point. Yeah, it's one of those ones. I think he does. He does the kind of tours and stuff, um, like ABR and all that kind of stuff. So, at some point, I would imagine we will. We'll run into him face to face, or if we're ever doing that way, um, on a, a jolly, we can yeah. extend that all a brunch and meet up for a coffee or whatever. Um, because by God, after that interview, we definitely owe my coffee at least. Oh, so, totally, yeah. But that's it for episode 34. Bro, medicine for all the talking we did. <laughs> oh, I know. It was, uh, I'm glad I didn't have this. I'm glad that my coffee wasn't this bad that night. No, I know, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or it would have been an absolute yeah, so. nightmare to edit. Do you know what I mean? So, but there you go, um, folks. Again, thanks for listening to us, Average Bikers, and our usual ramblings. And we hope you enjoyed this one because um, we certainly did enjoy this one, um, even great. though it's taken us a couple of days to kind of get it together. Um, and it has been a bit of a gap between episode 33 and episode 34, just with a whole load of stuff that we've had going on. And then obviously, illness hasn't helped either. No. The next episode is probably going to be towards the back end of May. Again, just because obviously um, I've got the the trip with Bruce and Simon Weir, and between that, um, and obviously trying to get content and all that kind of stuff, and getting yeah. all the show kind of put together and stuff like that, and working yeah. on big questions. Oh, and stuff. Uh, one wee thing is we'll we'll also be at the the bike night, the first bike nights tomorrow. Yes. Um, so by the time you listen, this will have happened. But check a look <laughs> out the West Coast Tally and Triumph socials. You'll see what the bike nights are all about. I'm sure there'll be some stuff put up in their socials and their um, yeah, that's Facebook the... page and all that and uh, if you've not been to the bike nights um, have a wee look and see what they post and then maybe come to the next one at the end of May cool. yeah good shout actually for getting bike nights up so yeah, <coughs> yeah. that's them started again so last thing is last Thursday of every month yeah. um, and we're always kind of there at least for a little bit if not for the whole night just depending how well things are going what the weather's like um, but yeah massive thanks to everybody that listens Follows, comments, reaches out. We've had a lot of DMs. We're starting to get a lot of DMs and emails and stuff like that, which is yeah, so cool. cool. Yeah. Um, and we, I'm always kind of quick to reply to them, or Ian will quickly mm-hmm. reply to them, whoever sees it first. So yeah, keep them coming in. Any ideas, thoughts, whatever, just file them in our direction. Um, anything you want us to talk about, or any potential guests or whatever, again, file them in our direction, and we'll pick them up. How do you get in contact? Ian? Well, if you've enjoyed it, yes, you can get in contact through the usual socials, Facebook, Instagram. You can email us at averagebikersinacave at outlook.com. The usual stuff. And uh, just find us um, Facebook and Instagram is the ones we kind of keep a, a big eye on all the time. So, um, And the emails. So they're the three best ways to get in touch with us. Um, um, we do also wander about the West Coast of Scotland sometimes with t-shirts on. So if you bump in, it's in the street. Come up and say hi. You know, um, we won't bite. Well, not unless you ask us to. 
And that's an extra service. Anyway, thank you. So a massive thank you from all of us here at ABC at Average Bikes in a Cave. If you enjoyed, enjoyed it, do please like, share, and more importantly, subscribe. We will see you in the next episode. So until then, next time, just remember, only a biker understands why a dog sticks his head out of a car window. Bravo!